Welcome to Brighton.tv. I'm Mike Adams, the founder of Brighton. Today we're joined by Dr. Brian Artis, who has a very special, urgent, uh, I would say critical for humanity special report that he's going to be sharing with us over the next few minutes. He's got even a presentation and a deep discussion. Now, uh, for those of you who are trying to take this information down, I want you to understand, uh, if you're watching this, it's already out, so you can't, you can't do that. Good luck with that. This is getting out. The truth shall prevail. And I want to appreciate all of you and say thank you for watching today and feel free to share this interview on other platforms as well. In fact, the more we distribute this interview, the better it is for humanity. Dr. Brian Artis, it is always an honor to speak with you. Welcome to the studio. Uh, I'm so excited to be here, actually. Your studio is awesome. And uh, I really do love the opportunity to, to participate with Brighton.tv. And thank you for all you do for providing Oh, uncensorable material well, for a lot of us. Well, that's our specialty is, is not getting censored, of course, but you are awesome in your work and your show and what you've been doing. I just want to thank you because you have helped inform so many people that, you know, allegedly you're now on Big Pharma's uh, hit list as people for them to try to take down or silence. So we want to offer you uh, prayers and blessings for your protection. We know you're safe here, but you know, be safe as you're moving around out there. Yeah, I really do appreciate that. And supposedly I'm at the top of that list per Dr. Zevzelenko, right? Wow, look, so, Brian Artis, number one. Supposedly right number there. one. So I tell you what. What we're about to go over and what has shortly been disclosed to some people, we're trying to reach this to as many audiences as people around the world because this information is relevant to the entire world and not everybody watches every platform. So uh, you actually are... The first person I came and talked to about this ever. Oh, wow. Wow. But that ever. was all a private conversation. Now you're very, ready to share it publicly. That was a very private, personal conversation because I was worried about the things that I was uncovering. Yeah. And I wanted your input, uh, knowing some of your background. And there's just very few people I thought I could trust with this information out of the gate. Well, and you and were the first. There's very few people who can freak me out with information, and you're one of those people because <laughs> when you told me what you had found, I was freaking out. And again, I'm hard to freak out because I've been through a lot. But let's just jump into it, okay? Yeah. And I just want to remind you, and for those of you watching, you know, this, we're going to have your slides on the screen behind you. And I'm, I'm actually the slide controller today. But you tell me you know, when to go next, and, and we're also going to put these in the video so people can read them. Is this going to be available as some kind of a downloadable PDF as well? We, can make, it that, we can make it that way on our site. Okay. Uh, and, uh, uh, give a, we give out your website for the audience. So my website is thedrardisshow.com, thedrardisshow.com. Got Doctors it. just shortened to DR. Okay, perfect. And we'll make sure that's there. All right, well, um, where do we begin? All right, so... For anybody who's already seen somewhat of the story, something happened on December 1st of 2021. We're in the beginning of April of 2022. So this only happened about four months ago. Uh, I received a text from a medical doctor that you know, I know, I won't say his name here, but he sent me a text that appeared to be very random to me and totally unrelated to COVID. Uh, but this is what happened, so I want to tell the story. I went on an interview on InfoWars, and I was being interviewed by Kate Daly, who's a great host, sometimes comes in there and co-hosts for InfoWars' other shows. She'd asked me to come on and actually talk about monoclonal antibodies and my thoughts on monoclonal antibodies. And I agreed to do it. 
I had these six studies that I just received actually from another doctor I really love and admire and trust. And my viewpoints on monoclonal antibodies based on those research studies were, I have concerns long-term about the use of these monoclonal antibodies because the studies I had received all were saying the monoclonal antibodies were being derived from cancer cells of the spleens of pigs. Right. And I remember thinking, why in the world would we inject that into a human being without knowing what the long-term possible mutagenic or carcinogenic effects might occur? So I was on InfoWars just bad-mouthing monoclonal antibodies. I mean, I was, like, based on these research studies. My concern was not that people with COVID-19 were being treated with it and they were surviving. The truth was for me at the time, 99.997% of all people were surviving COVID anyway. It really doesn't matter what you use for early treatment. So the early treatment options, you should be weighing the risk and benefits. Cause, well, of course, yeah. Because what if there's yeah. long-term negative results of monoclonal antibodies? Right. So <clears throat> this interview I did, as a result, this medical doctor sent me a text after he had been notified that I was bad-mouthing an early treatment for COVID that was working and this individual was using with a 100% success rate with COVID. He had sent me a text, this is what the text said. Now I hadn't talked to him in weeks, he just sent me this text and it said, hey Dr. Artis, if you got bit by a rattlesnake, would you go to a hospital and get antivenom? Now the truth is, I didn't see the text until December 18th. So it was like two and a half weeks later. In between that period, I saw this doctor at a speaking event. And he walks right up to me as I see him and he goes, hey, Dr. Artis, can you do me a favor from now on? When you go into the media, can you just continue to encourage people to stay away from hospitals and just seek early treatment instead of talking on early treatments? <laughs> and I was like, so I was trying to shut down your speech on being critical about any kind of these treatments. Right. I knew he wanted me to not talk about monoclonal antibodies. He must have been told about the interview on InfoWars. Okay. Because he said it was creating conflict for people that knew him and were sending people to him to do monoclonal antibodies, but they respected me, respected him, and it, they thought that was a conflicting I see. scenario. Well, so, I would say people start with vitamin D. Start with the simple things. Right. Zinc, you know. I agree. <laughs> but I do have great respect for this guy. So when he came to me, I looked at him and I said, yes, I can do that. I can continue to push people to early treatment because by far, early treatment options are way safer than going into a hospital and getting remdesivir and being vented to death. So anything is better than going there. So I, I reasoned that real quick and told him that. It was about a week after I saw him, I went to go send him a text when I see this text from December 1st that reads... Hey, Dr. Artis, if you got bit by a rattlesnake, would you go get antivenom? And I remember looking at the text, bewildered, because what does this got to do with COVID? Like, nothing. Yeah, so when I say it changed my whole life when I actually read this text, this is what happened. I knew this guy admired, used, and had success with monoclonal antibodies. But I didn't know anything about being bit by snakes. I didn't know anything about antivenom. So I was trying to figure out why he sent me this text. I didn't respond to him. I just looked at the text two weeks later, and I was trying to reason in my mind, why would, why would he send me this text? First thing I knew I had to figure out was, he knows I would say yes to that question. Like, inherently, I would go, of course I'm going to go get antivenom if I get bit by a rattlesnake. I mean, wouldn't you? I mean, I would want antivenom. I don't know if I'm going to die. I would go get antivenom. He, I knew he knew I would say yes. 
So I had to know what he was trying to trigger me to say yes to. Yeah, because the metaphor that he is then describing is basically saying that COVID is like a snake venom and that the monoclonal antibodies are anti-venom. That's what he was trying to No, actually, say, that, that is not what I thought, actually. Oh, okay. This is what happened to me. I was like, anti-venom? What is it about anti-venom? I don't know. So I had to go look it up. I was like, what, are, what is anti-venom made from? Or what is anti-venom? Only to learn online. Remember, I'm a chiropractor, acupuncturist. I didn't know this. Only to learn online that anti-venom is monoclonal antibodies or polyclonal antibodies. Mm -hmm. I had no idea. So all of a sudden I was like, oh, this is why he sent me this text. Was to get me to say, you would trust monoclonal antibodies if you got bit by a snake. And I was like, well, yes, I would. <gasps> was I wrong? All of a sudden I was like, wait a minute, am I wrong to trust monoclonal antibodies? And Mike, I, I, I cannot even... I cannot even exaggerate. I actually went into my shower, where's my think tank. I literally was in there for like an hour, just standing in the water, my hands up against the wall, and I am going through everything related to monoclonal antibodies that I thought I was right about. And it created this whirlwind rabbit hole of research for the next four months, which has led to what we're gonna unveil today. This is how it went. I'm in the shower and I'm like, monoclonal antibodies. Monoclonal antibodies are antivenom, and antivenom is a source of monoclonal antibodies. Then immediately I thought, does the CDC, the NIH, or the FDA recommend monoclonal antibodies for COVID? Because that's what this doctor's using it for. And the, all of a sudden I realized, no, they have not been encouraging people to use monoclonal antibodies. Right. In fact, now in January of this year, just a few months later, they've now banned the majority of all monoclonal antibodies from the entire country for COVID-19. So I started to, in the middle of December realizing while I was in the shower that the CDC, NIH, and FDA all say do not use monoclonal antibodies. They don't want any early treatment. They just want you to go into the hospital and get remdesivir. There is no other early treatments that are really encouraging. I then realized also that there was a truth for me already established. I didn't trust anything the FDA, CDC, or NIH has been saying surrounding COVID. In fact, it's almost the opposite. They tell you to go get remdesivir. I keep telling people don't do it. They keep saying to do it. Then they tell you not to seek early treatment. They tell you not to use monoclonal antibodies. And I keep saying you should be doing the opposite of whatever they say. So immediately when I realized that they, those federal health agencies, have been banning and punishing doctors for using monoclonal antibodies, and now since have taken it away from everybody, I wondered if there was a truth behind, could it possibly be that if monoclonal antibodies are a source or form of an antivenom, or, or made as an antivenom, is it possible that the monoclonal antibodies are working with COVID-19 because there might be a venom component to COVID-19. And in my 50 minutes or so or hour or so of being in the shower, I mean, I went through everything related to COVID in an hour. My next thought was, there's a quick way to see if there's ever been any discussion or maybe even a truth behind that COVID-19 could be related to snakes or snake venom that would warrant the FDA, CDC, and NIH not wanting you to use monoclonal antibodies. Okay, this is where my brain went. So all I decided was is, 
You know, every time I talk about remdesivir, anytime Paul Merrick from FLCCC.net talks about monoclonal antibodies, even with Senator Ron Johnson, they fact check our claims. USA Today and Associated Press has done it with me. Med, Medscape and MedPages did it with uh, Paul Merrick. They always will fact check things that are actually true to divert individuals back to the narrative they want you to see in the media. Yes. So the very first thing I thought was is, I'm going to get out of the shower and I'm going to go see, was there any reference early on that the possible origins of SARS-CoV-2 that they now designate the disease process as COVID-19, could it possibly be that snakes were ever a thought or a published possible source for SARS-CoV-2? And you mean that it, that it was a cross-species infection, that it, it grew in snakes or it spread in snakes? All I wanted and to know spread was to humans, or what are you saying? Yeah. So what I've heard nonstop for the last two years is it's cross contamination from from bats, bats to right. humans, That's right? What so or, or pangolins, as you have <laughs> so, here. So really, all I wanted to know was: is it true then that there was ever a reference in the media that snakes could have been a source as they were trying to figure it out? And then was it ever fact checked? That's what I wanted to know. Okay. Like, was and it ever you, fact checked? Find? Because nonstop for two years, all I've heard about is bats. Yeah, everyone's okay talking about bats. It comes from bats. Comes yeah. from, everybody's allowed to talk about bats. Well, bats but, are mammals. But did so, they ever, yeah. ever look at snakes? So this Seems. set me down a, uh, a huge rabbit hole that at times it's been scary, anxiety creating. And uh, it's time to show you what I learned and okay. what I figured out. Okay, well, let's, so let's do it. So you've got the clicker. Yep, let's do it. We're on slide one. This is slide one here. So what we're going to do is we're just going to show you what I've learned. So at the top of these slides, you will see a date, actually a month and a year. This is very early on in the pandemic, January 2020. This is in Healthline magazine online. And it actually says, where did the new coronavirus come from? Potentially a bat, snake, or pangolin. And I remember reading this one article. It's the first one I pulled up. And I remember thinking, they actually thought it might come from snakes? Like, I never knew this. I never saw this. Uh -huh. I wasn't paying attention to this early on. Remember, my whole thing with COVID started in May of 2020. So by the time this came out, I was five months late. Okay? This was in January. And you'll see on the right-hand side of the article, fact check by <laughs> Kay yeah, Castle. And yeah. I was like, oh, my gosh, they did fact check this. Okay, great. Let's go to the next slide. Inside this article on Healthline, this is what we see. Read this here. A new study found the virus may have originated in bats and then spread to humans via a snake or pangolin. Okay. Next okay. slide. So the snakes could have been carriers and transmitters is what they're, what they're saying. That is what they're saying. Okay. All right. So then this professor, Shane Shin Yongi, maybe you can pronounce it better, a professor with the university, a member of the research team, told the Xinhu News Service that although previous research found the novel coronavirus originated in bats, the animals hibernate in the winter making it unlikely that they caused this current outbreak. I found that interesting because when was the first supposed sick people with COVID? It was in October of 2019, right? In the winter. Next slide. This is on CNN Health, January 2020. Snakes could be the source of the Wuhan coronavirus outbreak. As I'm reading through these, I'm like, no way. I had no idea that anyone even mentioned it. All right, so here we go. Next slide. This is very important. This still applies even today, right now. CNN Health on this website, on, on their site in January 2020. Snakes, the Chinese crate and the Chinese cobra 
may be the original source of the newly discovered coronavirus that's triggered an outbreak of a deadly infectious respiratory illness in China this winter. Really. Next slide. But when the researchers performed a more detailed bioinformatics analysis of the sequence of SARS-CoV-2, it suggests that this coronavirus might have come from snakes. Interesting. Next. Still in the same article. So did it transfer from bats to snakes is what they're saying. The researchers used an analysis of the protein codes favored by the new coronavirus and compared it to the protein codes from coronaviruses, Mike. And they found it in different animal hosts like birds, snakes, marmots, hedgehogs, mantis, bats, and humans. Surprisingly, they found that the protein codes in the SARS-CoV-2 virus are most similar to those used in snakes. Really? Okay, Next slide. Interesting. Here comes the fact checking. Ready? No science news reports in the same month. No snakes probably aren't the source of the new coronavirus in China yet. Let's go in the article. Based on similarities between the virus's codons. Do you know what a codon is? Sequence of three nucleic acids on either mRNA, RNA, or DNA chain. Three nucleic acids. Based on the similarities between the virus's codons and those of its potential animal hosts, quote, snake is the most probable wildlife animal reservoir for the 2019 SARS-CoV-2. The researchers right. And then they say, we and his team suggest a virus from the mini-banded crate, or Chinese cobra, may have combined with a bat virus and sparked the new outbreak. SciTech Daily, same month. Look what they even call it. Snake pneumonia? Snake pneumonia. Are you kidding me? No. Snake, look, January 22nd, 2020. Coronavirus outbreak in China traced to snakes by genetic analysis. Really? Finally, the team uncovered evidence in this article that the SARS-CoV-2 likely resided in snakes before being transmitted to humans. Recombination with the viral receptor binding protein may have allowed for cross-species transmission, like you mentioned a second ago. Is that what they were expecting? From snakes to humans. I don't know how many snakes cough on people to give them <laughs> their infections. I'm wondering, who's hanging out with snakes? Yeah, I, don't, I, don't know. I don't know. Results derived from our evolutionary analysis or origin analysis suggest for the first time that snake is the most probable wildlife animal reservoir for this 2019 SARS-CoV-2. Is this surprising to you? Did you know this? No, this is really shocking because this has been erased, really, from any discussion. No one about is talking origins. about this. Right. No, it was always bats or it was just random animals, pangolins and what have you. All right, next one. <laughs> next slide. Marmots, that's a surprise. You've got to stay away from those marmots, man. <laughs> and hedgehogs. And hedgehogs, <laughs> yeah. Humans are playing around with hedgehogs too often. All right, so in the same month, this is what they are referencing in these articles is what they've suggested were the original origins of SARS-CoV-2 came from snakes. They compared it to bats. I'm going to take you into this because there's aspects of this research study that everyone needs to know because it is very clear from this one study that snakes are the origin of SARS-CoV-2. Wait a minute. Doesn't this mean that the gain-of-function research could have maybe taken something from snakes and then augmented it? Oh, yes. Is that where this is going? Yep. That's exactly where it's going. Wow. Which is not what anyone has been told. Right. All right, so January of 2020, published, Origin of COVID-19, cross-species transmission of the newly identified coronavirus. Remember, I knew none of this until December of 2021. Okay, next slide, here we go. Inside the body of this 
research study, two types of snakes containing the Bungaro multicinctus, which is the mini-branded or mini-banded crate, and then the Chinese cobra were used for RSCU analysis, where they're actually getting their gene sequences and comparing it to SARS-CoV-2. Squared Euclidean distance between the 2019 SARS-CoV-2 and the crate was 13.54. The distance between SARS-CoV-2 and another snake, which is Naja Naja Atra, which is the king cobra, is 16.69. And for those for people watching, the lower that number, the more similar the genetic code is. That's exactly right. Yeah. I did not know this. I had oh, to learn yeah. all this. Well, Euclidean distance is squared. Yeah. Uh, I love hanging out with geometry. Geniuses. Yeah. <laughs> I really okay. had no idea what that meant. I was like, what in the world is that? Yeah. So anyway, what what they're saying is that this is the most sim similar genetic uh, sequence that they could find. Exactly right. Snakes. Yep. And then they okay. actually compared it to a whole bunch of animals, like hedgehogs and manis and uh -huh. humans even. Right, right. And they actually plot on the graph here. Next slide. Okay. Oh, wow. They actually and plot. there it is. I see. Wow. They plot which one it's most identical to. Bungaroo, or Bungarus, is the crate snake. Wow. Cobra, and then bats, and then chickens. It looks like a polar bear. I don't know what that That's is. That's the marmot right there, yeah. <laughs> and then the human, hedgehogs, and whatever else. Wow. When I saw this, I couldn't believe it because this, this is not what we've been told. We have been told it is bats, and they keep directing people to bats. Fauci in May of 2020 is right. talking about the sources of bat. Okay, just want everybody to see that. This summary in the conclusion, we're going to spend a few minutes on because... There's a few statements in here that people need to know the definition for. When I say that I am confident that the origins of SARS-CoV-2 is from snakes, this tells you it is. So here we go. In summary, the results derived from our evolutionary analysis suggest that SARS-CoV-2 has most similar genetic information with bat coronavirus and has most similar codon usage bias with snake. Now, hmm. I am not a geneticist, but the very last part of this sentence says, SARS-CoV-2 has most similar codon usage bias with snake. Mm -hmm. Next slide. First, I had to know what's I know a codon. Where this is going, yes. What's a codon? Because I didn't know. I was like, what's a codon? So I went to the National Institutes of Health, their Genome Research Institute. All right, codon, you'll see down here at the bottom. This is a sequence like on an mRNA chain. It's three nucleic acids clumped together in order. It explains to you what it is. Now, that's what a codon is, just a sequence of three nucleic acids. Now, codon usage bias is the term I wanted to know. I just copied codon usage bias. Next slide. And I want to know what in the world does codon usage bias mean? You can see it behind me. I'll read it to you. This is uh, published in November. 2021. Codon usage bias reflects the origin, mutation patterns, and evolution of the species or genes. Just read up to the first comma. Codon usage bias reflects the origin. If we go to the slide I was just at, next slide, what we just read was, last part of the sentence, SARS-CoV-2 has the most similar codon usage bias with snakes. Yes. So we know its origin 
is most similar and connected to snake origin. And allow me to just explain to sure. the audience as well. Different species have a different tendency of the way they arrange their genetic code. That, that's what codons are. So the same goals genetically can be accomplished with many different codon patterns. So what you're pointing out here is that the, the, usage, the codon usage bias indicates snake as the origin. I want to tell people that's a fingerprint. That's actually a fingerprint because those codon sequences can't come from humans because human DNA isn't encoded the same way. It's very far from snake DNA because you know, reptiles versus mammals and you know, the whole evolutionary history and whatever. But this is, this is bombshell that you have here. This is January of 2020. Wow. The first month of the pandemic supposedly in America or referenced even in America. All right, let's go to the next slide. Now it's time to get into, is there any talks I wanted to know in 20, I'm just gonna go into this, ready? Is this the same slide? Uh, same phospholipase enzymes? It is. Okay, great. So this is in January of 2021. We are now gonna to piece together the entire narrative of COVID-19. When I say, and I wanna go ahead and introduce this now, there isn't an aspect of COVID-19, its symptoms as a disease or an infection, none of the symptoms or side effects of remdesivir, none of the side effects or adverse events, serious or minor, from the mRNA vaccines that cannot be linked to snake venom poisoning. Whoa. Whoa. All of it is related, and I'm gonna show you. Okay, so wait a second. All <laughs> of the this is, this is a huge bombshell. So you're saying if you look at the neurological symptoms, the blood clotting, oh my gosh, blood clotting, that's how snake venom destroys tissue. It clots the blood. Exactly right. And snake venom is a protein. It's a very long, large protein, and that's what causes the tissue necrosis, right? You get bit by a rattlesnake, yes. it's tissue necrosis, and that's what's happening to people who are getting the vaccine. Exactly right. Whoa. Trust me, by the time we're done with this interview, every aspect of COVID, oh even God. beyond our other interviews I've done so far, you're gonna see even more evidence to support every aspect of what they tell you is SARS-CoV-2 viral infection, everything they call a side effect that led to mortality from COVID-19 in hospitalized patients, which is with remdesivir, every side effect listed by the FDA, the CDC, the NIH, NVAERS, CMS data, all of it can be tied directly to snake venom poisoning. Okay, Dr. Artis, okay, now you got my brain running because this means that the mRNA gene therapy alterations are injecting people with instructions to manufacture snake venom in their own cells. So their bodies are snake venom factories. That's exactly what's going on. And the two individuals who created the mRNA vaccines work at the University of Pennsylvania, David Weissman and a lady named Catalina. They have since 2011 been taking mRNA from snake venom and figuring out how to inject it into the cells and into the DNA of cow's cells. And they used venom mRNA to do it. And I'm gonna show you that's what they're doing right now. And yes, when they talk about replicating spike proteins, no, no, you're replicating snake venom, venom peptides Whoa. or proteins.
And it just continues to replicate throughout your body. But then this also explains why monoclonal antibodies then work. Exactly. Because it's an anti-venom. Yes, and I am not one who's going to sit back and go, I was wrong, or I wasn't wrong about anything. I'm always right. I immediately knew, even in the shower, if I go and find information that anti-venom is monoclonal antibodies, I was wrong in my speaking because monoclonal antibodies would work. Do you know how they actually make monoclonal antibodies and antivenom for most snake venom? No, I don't. They take the venom of a snake in a syringe and they shoot it into a horse. And then they collect the blood from the horse, extract the antibodies that the horse made against the actual venom, uh-huh. and that's monoclonal antibodies they inject into you as anti- antivenom. Whoa. I'm about to show you evidence that they did this with COVID-19 supposed virus proteins. Okay. It's pretty you're, you're, you're blowing my mind again. Yes, I am. All right, all right, so here we go. When it comes to all the side effects related to SARS-CoV-2 infection that individuals deal with, this, this term called phospholipase enzymes are noted as a premier marker or indicator of SARS-CoV-2 infection. Okay? You've got the virus inside of you. Now your body's elevating these phospholipase enzymes. This is in January of 2021. Phospholipase enzymes as potential biomarker for SARS-CoV-2 virus. Let's okay. go on. Now, in the same article, it says that these phospholipase, among them, SPLA2 phospholipase A2 is the first discovered group of phospholipase enzymes, which was discovered in a component of cobra venom. This is where they found this stuff. Go back to the screen before. It actually says phospholipase enzymes are potential biomarkers for SARS-CoV-2, but this were originally discovered in cobra venom. Isn't that crazy? All right, let's keep reading the parts I've actually highlighted. Lapidae and viper family snakes having SPLAT group 1A, 2A, 2B as the main component in snake venom. Snake venom, phospholipases, induce pathophysiological alterations in the victim by hydrolyzing phospholipids in membranes. Whoa, so cell rupturing. All the hemorrhaging yeah, you see right. in the lungs of SARS-CoV-2 oh, patients, yeah. this exactly is what it is. That. right. The snake doesn't inject its venom into your lungs. They put it into your veins or into your bloodstream. And then it actually makes the alveoli sacs in your lungs hemorrhage. Right, which shows up on the imaging that the doctors are doing. And they're calling it what? Um, COVID pneumonia. Yeah, right. Right. Like the snake pneumonia you saw up here? That's what they're seeing, actually. Unbelievable. Next slide. What is the role of this phospholipase in lung infections and related respiratory problems? Remember, they found this in cobra venom originally. There is some evidence that the elevated PLA2 is in patients with lung infections and respiratory problems. Pulmonary surfactant is important. By lowering surface tension along the alveolar epithelium, destruction of the surface tension will result in lung injury called acute respiratory distress syndrome. That sounds real familiar because that's what we were told. That's what we were told it was. Right. All of SARS-CoV-2 and COVID-19. Most similar to acute respiratory distress syndrome. Yes. Oh, really? But the cobra venom phospholipases does this. The same thing they just said is a biomarker for SARS-CoV-2. Wow. Oh, it gets worse. Don't worry. Here we go. Next slide. When I go through some of these, you're going to also realize why it is that the FDA, CDC, NIH, World Health Organization, United Nations all said and interjected and said, you cannot suggest nutritional supplements for COVID-19 as an early treatment because they know it works against snake venom. I'm going to show you one right here. In this same article, it says, we're talking about SARS-CoV-2 here, 
While both men and women have the same prevalence of SARS-CoV-2 without any gender discrimination, men are more susceptible to face more complications in death. Study was evidence that the inverse correlation of SPLA2, which is found in snake venom also, activity with vitamin C concentration in COVID-19 patients. Uh-huh. Interestingly, vitamin C concentration in the blood is lower in males than in females, hence the link between increased severity in men. It also links with the severity of COVID-19 in males with the correlation of increasing SPLA2 phospholipase activity and the decrease in vitamin C content. Another study, down lower, another study was revealed that increasing rates of PLA2 were were positively correlated with not only viral loads in the patients with COVID-19, but also severity of pneumonia in non-COVID-19 patients. Therefore, it could be suggested that increased levels of this in the blood could provide insights to higher mortality was seen in patients with underlying comorbidities. Now, you've heard all along that individuals who have comorbidities are more targeted. Right. I have proof, and I can show you research like this, that these enzymes found in snake venom target the pancreas of individuals with inflammatory pancreatic disorders, which are what? Diabetes, diabetes, any of the type of diabetes, Mm -hmm. heart conditions or inflammatory heart issues, liver, kidneys, lung, brain. And these snake venom components target those tissues exactly. And this is an example of that. I mean, this is just stunning, but I need to point out, they say that increasing levels were correlated with viral loads in patients, but how are they testing viral loads is PCR, which means they could be just spotting cells that are being killed, the exosomes of the cells could be that do, have been destroyed by the venom. Very well could be. But do you know I have research for like 20 plus years that they've been using PCR testing to actually sequence the genes of all snake venom research? No, didn't, did not know that. And holy cow, what are they using the whole time to look for SARS-CoV-2? The same, they're using PCR tests that are known successfully to replicate, magnify, through cycling, venom proteins and peptides. For decades they've been using it. And what if they're really just finding snake protein peptides or enzymes with a test that's done that for the last 30 years they know? But this, this is also the ultimate bioweapon because it's something that can be blamed on animals, right? So maybe they, they took it from animals, they took it from reptiles, they augmented it with gain of function. They made it spreadable, or maybe they spread it themselves, a couple of different ways to do that, and then they diagnose it, they just give it a different name. But it's the ultimate bioweapon. It's actually one of the oldest in history biological weapons. It's in nature. I mean, True. poison dart frogs, snake venoms. I mean, we've used venoms from animals for years in war. I just want people to notice and recognize that this enzyme found in cobra venom in this study early on where they were talking about phospholipases and these enzymes are directly correlated to significance of COVID-19 and severity of COVID-19 and it's can I can I ask you a different question I mean I'm sorry to interrupt this is this is stunning what about ivermectin why does ivermectin work are you going to get to that yep I sure am okay cool all right I'm going to interrupt you I sure am yep we're going to get there everything they told you not to use by the way and are are punishing people, every single one of the things they say you cannot use and they're threatening doctor's licenses with is already proven to inhibit snake venom peptides and proteins. Unbelievable. And I'm talking for like 30, 40 years. 
Like, no for example, yeah. do you okay. know that the blood clotting effect of a snake, snake venom, vipers, can be blocked with N-acetylcysteine? And they've known it for oh, years. That's why they're pulling it off the market. That's why the FDA in May of 2020 was like, this is no longer going to be sold as a uh, supplement. It can now only be sold as a prescription drug. Yes, this is exactly why they did that. For example, wow. all, and when I say all of them, all the things you keep hearing, you're not allowed to use. Yeah. They actually inhibit the effects of snake venom, peptides, and proteins. All of them. Unreal. Very good. Right, Amazon go. pulled all the NAC off the market, too. I want you to read the title of this University of Arizona's publication. Like venom coursing through the body, researchers identify mechanism driving COVID-19 mortality. They're just, they're just telling you what it is, huh? In your face, you don't even know it. You're not even looking. Unbelievable. Like venom coursing through the body. An enzyme related to neurotoxins found in rattlesnake venom? That's the subhead. I know. All right, so let's get into the article. Ready? Oh let's gosh, see what okay. it says. All right. So this is actually the real study. I printed it, and then I highlighted some stuff. Here we go. Del Poeta and his team collected stored plasma samples and went to work analyzing medical charts and tracking down critical clinical data from 127 patients hospitalized at Stony Brook University Hospital between January oh, and July of 2020. Here we go. Okay, sorry. Here we go. Sorry about that. All right, so they collected 127 patients, you'll see, who were hospitalized at this hospital between January and July of 2020. They went through all their charts. There's also some at the Stony Brook and Banner University Medical Center in Tucson between the same period. Uh, next slide. University of Arizona, Stony Brook University, and Wake Forest altogether analyzed blood samples from two COVID-19 patient cohorts and found that circulation of the enzyme secreted phospholipase A2 group 2A or SPLA2 oh my gosh. may be the most important factor in predicting which patients with severe COVID-19 eventually succumb to the virus. And it that's gets, what's in the venom, yeah. Yeah, look, read the next sentence. The SPLA2 enzyme, which has similarities to an active enzyme in rattlesnake venom, is found in low concentrations in healthy individuals and has long been known to play a critical role in defense against bacterial infections, destroying microbial cell membranes. When the activated enzyme circulates at high levels, it has the capacity to shred the membranes of vital organs. And then read down below, this enzyme is trying to kill the virus, destroying the patient cell membranes and thereby contributing to multiple organ failure and death. Now there's a couple things I have to pinpoint here. They got tissue samples from people who were hospitalized and treated for COVID-19 in hospitals. What do they all have in common being pumped into their veins? Remdesivir. Right. When I saw this, they even give you the numbers of how elevated these snake enzymes are in their blood. The number one side effect listed in Gilead, who owns remdesivir, they did a study that was published in March of 2020. They gave remdesivir for 10 days to 53 COVID-19 patients. The number one reported serious adverse event was multiple organ failure. I want you to look and see what this says here. Uh -huh, right. This enzyme. Multiple organ failure. And death. I am convinced remdesivir, actually, before we even go any further, I'm actually convinced that remdesivir is actually lyophilized or freeze-dried, powderized king cobra venom. And I'm going to tell you how I got there. And I think they're just pumping it into your veins in hospitals. All right. What you just said, Dr. Artis, is pretty, pretty freaky. I mean, that's a huge claim. That's a claim that the medical system is carrying out coordinated mass murder. 
It doesn't mean that the doctors administering remdesivir would be aware of this, by the way, right? They may have no clue, but look at who was behind the approvals of remdesivir, who's been pushing it. Fauci, for one, right? Really? Yeah. But you, you're saying that you believe people are being injected with freeze-dried cobra venom that has been approved by the FDA as a drug. As an antiviral. Treat, as an antiviral. Mm -hmm. And does, would this explain then the kidney failure that, that happens and organ failure and I'm gonna show you. death? And what about the uh, fluid buildup in the lungs and everything? Yes, I'll show you okay, all. Okay, okay. I'm sorry. I'm getting ahead. No, no. This is why uh, when you look at the actual known side effects and what happens to individuals on ho in hospitals when they get remdesivir. Yeah. And like this Arizona study, when you look at the sample tissue samples, they see these high elevated amounts of stuff that's in rattlesnake venom. Snake venom. Wow. In these people who have died after being treated in hospitals. They're all being treated with remdesivir, all of them. That's the only antiviral being pumped into all their veins during those periods I mean, they it, selected them. If this is true, by the way, let me just say, this is some kind of satanic serpent mass death thing. This is like actual satanic. There's got to be something about this mentioned in the Bible in the end times about venom coursing through people's bodies and killing them. You're nodding like you're going to talk about something like that. That's how we're going to wrap up the interview. Oh, okay, okay. All right, well. I'm sorry to get ahead here. No, it's great because you're putting it all together. Yeah. It's just a, a massive unraveling of things. Everything related to COVID you've been lied to about. Oh, yeah. All of it. And, we, I, and I mean all of it. We've been lied to about everything, man. History, money, of elections, mm -hmm. you name it. Okay, mm -hmm. continuing. All right, so further into this study, talking about this phospholipase for uh, as causing SARS-CoV-2 and ramifications of that. Uh, yeah, let's That's read into this. Ready? Okay. Previous research has shown how the enzyme phospholipase destroys microbial cell membranes and bacterial infections as well as its similar genetic ancestry with a key enzyme found in snake venom. The protein shares a high sequence homology to the active enzyme in rattlesnake venom. And like venom coursing through the body, it has the capacity to bind to receptors at neuromuscular junctions and potentially disable the function of these muscles. Roughly a third of people develop long COVID. And many of them are active individuals, individuals who can't walk 100 yards. The question we're investigating now is, if this enzyme is still relatively high and active, could it be responsible in part for the long COVID outcomes that we're seeing? And the answer is yes. All right, next slide. I've always known that the phrase long COVID was a cover story for something else. They just gave it a sure. name. Okay. So yeah. this is where we're going to get into the this is not a stretch. This is where we're going to get into the entire narrative of COVID-19 and why I believe remdesivir made by Gilead is actually King Cobra venom. Ready? Nature Genetics. Look at the publication date, January of 2020. This actual study is titled The Indian Cobra Reference Genome and Transcriptome that Enables the Comprehensive Identification of Venom Toxins. Ready? In the abstract, just read the highlighted part. Among the 139 toxic genes were 19, 19 significant, by the way, uh -huh. 19 venom-ohm-specific toxins that showed venom gland-specific expression. This is published January of 2020. There's been a 10-year-long study mapping out the gene sequences of the toxins in King Cobra venom. And they isolate that there's 19 venom-specific toxins that are derived from the internal organs of the snake 
that destroyed the internal organs of a mammal. Right. 19. 19. Now, I'm going to hammer on this 19 thing because when I saw it, I was like, oh my God, could it be true that COVID-19 has nothing to do with the year? Could it be totally related to this 19 figure of these venom, like toxin proteins? This same information was found by Dr. Brian Fry in Australia in 2005. He found 19 venom-specific toxins in 2005. Do you remember what was going around the world in the Middle East? There and was it, a bird flu thing, was it? Nope. Do you remember something called SARS-CoV-1? Oh, no. No, that, that wasn't very big. <laughs> it wasn't very big. Uh-uh. Nope. But... It's ironically in the same year that this huh. guy published the 19 here. I'm actually convinced that when they did the research in 2005 with Dr. Brian Fry's work, that they knew they could set up this 19 toxins and use it the year 2019 as a cover, and they spent the next 15 years preparing for COVID-19. Wow. I actually call COVID-19 Covenom 19 for these 19 toxins, actually. All right, so let's go in further into this. This is the published study, January of 2020, Indian cobra reference genome. It's likely that these genes, together with the 19 venom-specific toxins, form the core toxic effector components of the venom and induce a wide range of symptoms, including cardiovascular dysfunction, oh my which remdesivir does, muscular paralysis, nausea, blurred vision, and systemic effects such as hemorrhage. How much you want to bet that also includes ringing in the ears, tinnitus, other neurological? All of it. All, all the neurotoxicity wow. symptoms are related to Tingling snake venom. Tingling of the yes. limbs, right? Absolutely. Whoa. All right. Here is actually in the study, they actually list a picture, a graphic. It's all right here. And Respiratory snake venom. This is cobra venom specifically. Cobra venom. Respiratory difficulties. Oh my gosh. Neurological symptoms, dizziness, headaches. You were just talking about those. Yep. Blood coagulation, anticoagulation. Uh, look at this, systemic hemorrhage. Yep. Yeah, no kidding. Local tissue damage, paralysis, hypotension, sudden shock, low blood pressure, vasodilation, the 19 venom toxins. This is from King Cobra venom. This is what it does in the human or mammal body. This explains why athletes are passing out. This explains why they are dying on the yes, field. Yes, yes. Okay, next slide. All right. I want to bring this to your attention. This is from a different study done in 2015. Kidney injury is among the most common and most serious symptoms of cobra venom. Do you know how many people in the hospitals being treated with remdesivir out the gate, they said and reported in the media, we've never seen such acute kidney failure with a respiratory virus. And everyone was being pumped full of remdesivir. Absolutely, yeah. Same side effects. I saw the, you showed the graphic. We now see acute kidney injury. Most common side effect of cobra venom going into the body. Imagine if that's all it is that they're injecting right into your vein. It's insane. They're just lining you up, injecting you with venom, calling it medicine, calling it treatment. Exactly right. And outlawing everything else. Oh, yeah. By the way. So, so I want to... That works. Yeah, and I want to take you through this. This was actually in July of 2020. This is two months after remdesivir was assigned the contract for all hospitalized COVID-19 patients in America by Dr. Anthony Fauci. Yep. He gave Gilead the green light to be the only antiviral being pumped into all COVID-19 hospitalized Americans. This is two months later, this study comes out. This has bugged me ever since I saw it. Let's read it together, this 
first part of the abstract, because this is where I stopped reading when I read it originally. <laughs> COVID-19 is most well known for causing substantial respiratory pathology. It can also result in several other than lung manifestations. These conditions include thrombotic complications. They're talking about the virus only, COVID-19. The virus can cause thrombotic complications, myocardial dysfunction and arrhythmia, acute coronary syndromes, acute kidney injury, gastrointestinal symptoms, and hepatocellular injury. Hepatocellular means liver toxicity. Next slide. So it means this venom is going throughout your body and ripping apart the cells of all your organ systems leading to organ failure. Yes, and I was just blaming it on the toxicity of remdesivir from this study, but, uh -huh. I, but I want to go into this study that was published in Nature Medicine in July of 2020, because okay. there's something significant here that's different between China and America when we first started treating COVID-19 patients. All right, so inside of this same article or research study on what SARS-CoV-2 does in the body, they actually mention here and publish that there's renal manifestations, which means kidney disease or problems. But this is I've pointed this out in many lectures and to senators and state reps around the country in relationship to remdesivir. We in America were using remdesivir, China wasn't. So you're gonna look at the statistics here between SARS-CoV-2 and those in China and those in America, ready? In China, the, this is in July, 2020. In China, the reported incidence of acute kidney injury in hospitalized patients with COVID-19 ranged from 0.5% to 29%. And that incidence of acute kidney injury occurred within an average of seven to 14 days of treatment in the hospital. So it took about a week to two weeks for that to even start to show up in their blood work. Studies from the US have reported much higher rates of acute kidney injury in a study with nearly 5,000 patients admitted in New York City with COVID-19, acute kidney injury occurred in 37% of them with 14% of all of them requiring dialysis and about one third were diagnosed with acute kidney injury within how long? 24 hours of admission, and they were being treated with remdesivir. They were being pumped full of remdesivir within the first 24 hours. Wow. And that's when the acute kidney injury kicked in. Unreal. Now, this study gets even more disgusting for me. When I read this stuff, I was like, you know what? July of 2020, Gilead, the maker of remdesivir, has been awarded the only contract. How come it is that every single side effect in here of SARS-CoV-2 in this article is identical to remdesivir side effects? Did they invite Gilead to be a part of this compilation of SARS-CoV-2 side effects? They could hide all of their known side effects of the drug in this study that the whole world in July of 2020, every doctor treating COVID patients would be like, uh, we're seeing kidney failure, liver failure, heart failure, uh, we're seeing strokes, hemorrhaging all over the body. And they would look into the scientific literature to see, is this a side effect of SARS-CoV-2? Right. Instead of blaming the drug. Instead of blaming the drug they're pumping into the veins. Yes. So I looked at the funders of this study, and it's like seven departments of the World Health Organization. But we need to get into this. Look at the ethics declarations page. Look who was invited to participate and what company they're on the payroll for. In the conflicts of interest for this nature medicine in July of 2020, JMB, her name is Joan, reports an honorarium for participation on grants reviews for Gilead Sciences. Who makes remdesivir? How is it possible that the NIH allowed someone from Gilead to combine and add up and total and summarize all the side effects of the virus? Their drug is the only drug being allowed to treat. I call this uh, a mighty conflict of interest. Of course. Okay. Yeah. Next slide. 
In the Indian King Cobra study, it actually references that they have a com uh, there's a conflict of interest with this study that published in January of 2020 with the 19 venom-specific toxins. It says here that the employees of Genentech, they hold Roche stock or shares. Next slide. And I was like, Genentech? What's that got to do with Genentech? I just want you guys to remember this one thing. These phospholipases that I showed you earlier in a study in COVID-19 patients was first discovered in cobra venom. So if you go back to the last slide, in that cobra study, Genentech, employees of Genentech, who ran the whole study on King Cobra Venom, they just said they have conflict of interest maybe with this study because they own shares of Roche. And I had to figure out, well, who the heck is Genentech? Just remember here, among these phospholipases is the first discovered group of PLA2 enzymes, which was discovered as a component of Cobra Venom. Genentech just completed a study on Cobra Venom and discovered 19 different venom-specific toxins. So then I wanted to know, what does Genentech and Gilead have in common? Gilead makes remdesivir. Is there any connection of Gilead to possibly Genentech, who's declaring a conflict of interest in a King Cobra Venom study they published in January of 2020? Oh my God, imagine my surprise. Gilead Sciences to purchase biological process research and clinical manufacturing facility from Genentech in 2011. So then I started to see, oh, in 2011, they bought and brought in facilities, biological facilities from Genentech. Next slide, Gilead today announced that the company has signed a definitive agreement under which Gilead will purchase a clinical biologics manufacturing facility and certain process development assets located in Oceanside, California from Genentech. Next slide. A member of the Roche Group. Member of the Roche Group. Next slide. As part of this acquisition, we're going to bring 55 current Genentech clinical manufacturing and process development employees will be offered employment at Gilead. This is since 2011. All employees joined, joining Gilead from Genentech will be working in the OCP facilities, their biological facilities. Do you know that Genentech, right now, they have seven patented cancer drugs? that are all derived from snake venom? Gene intake. But, but, and that's, you're saying like that's well known, that's, oh, yeah. that's very public knowledge. Very public. Because it kills cancer cells, as snake oh, yeah. venom is good at doing, it kills cells. It is? Yes. Absolutely, yep. <laughs> I couldn't believe. Oh, your tumor's shrinking. Exactly right. Gosh, we're here in Texas, we can get snake venom under any rock for free. There's a, there's a snake there. Just you know snake venoms? Specific snake venoms can either cause blood clotting or blood thinning uh -huh. to lead to hemorrhage, right? Or blood clots leading to strokes. Either one can lead to strokes. Right. They also have this impact, some venoms, to increase tumor growth and cancer growth, and then other venoms reduce it or shut it off. Wild. In fact, most cancer drugs, they're just manipulating your body with snake venom. I have learned since then. It's pretty crazy. Chemotherapy, huh? Right. All right, so here we go. Remember this. February 2015, just like SARS-CoV-2, is that a coincidence? The venom phospholipase A2 is probably the key factor responsible for tissue injury by disturbing cell membrane permeability through disorganizing of lipid bilayer on the plasma membrane. And it goes into renal injury. You'll see the bottom down here. Renal injury as a result of this venom PLA2, just like SARS-CoV-2. In February of 2015, it was found that cobra venom, this is specific for cobra venom, 
Pulmonary tissues of control mice showed the normal and compact organization. This is the control mice that don't get the venom. They showed normal compact organization of bronchi, bronchioles, and terminal bronchioles, followed by specialized sac-like structures called alveoli, consisting surface epithelium. Blood vessels and supporting tissues surrounded by a double-layer membrane structure called the pleura. Crude cobra venom persuaded some severe changes in their histological, histological structure by showing significant inflammatory cellular infiltration and edema. Do you know every patient who dies from SARS-CoV-2 supposedly in hospitals that gets remdesivir? They die from edema in their lungs? That's right. Which is a side effect of crude cobra venom. The organism of envenomated group also showed alveolar hemorrhage and myonecrosis muscle death after six hours of envenomation with this dose of cobra venom. So, wait a second here. So what it was also saying is that the presence of this venom drives sodium and water into the cells, causing edema, but also causing cell toxicity. It does this by modifying the permeability of the cell membranes. And yet, in the, in the hospitals, all these patients are being given a saline solution drip. So they're being given sodium, and then the venom is driving the sodium into their lung cells and rupturing them from the inside. That's, that's causing the hemorrhage. So they're actually, it's almost like a binary weapon. They're yes. being given remdesivir and sodium solution. Absolutely. Whoa. And this is why you see that crystallization inside the x-rays of right. the lungs of COVID-19 treated patients, not COVID-19 patients, COVID-treated patients. Absolutely. What about, uh, some doctors are talking about the discovery of lymphocytes all over the lungs. Couldn't that be what we're looking at here? They just, absolutely. They just call them lymphocytes or they, they resemble absolutely. lymphocytes? Yep, you're absolutely right. It's actually rushed, ruptured lung cells. That's exactly what it is. And this is exactly what crude venom does in the body from vipers. I'm just convinced it's the King Cobra because of the connection of Gilead Sciences and Gene and Tech, who has been for 10 years studying and mapping out the sequences of the 19 venom toxins Wait a minute, the, from a cobra. The symbol of the American Medical Association is the caduceus, which is the two serpents intertwined to resemble DNA around a staff, right? Two serpents. How many snakes did they find were the original origins most like two, two codon snakes. usage bias? Right, cobras and what was the other one? Cobras and crates. Crates, crates is the most okay. similar. Wow. Hold on. Can I tell you something? Okay, yeah. <laughs> okay, let's blow your mind. You ready? <laughs> Again? Yeah. In February of 2020, the Wall Street Journal published an article. The author is a guy named Ben Zimmerman. Okay? February of 2020. And he is discussing, discussing in the Wall Street Journal, his whole article is, this, the naming of this pandemic is significant. The name that is chosen. And then he goes through and he's talking about the World Health Organization, the United Nations, the CDC, the FDA. Everybody's trying to come up with a name to stamp on this pandemic and why the name will be significant. And he talks about what the World Health Organization was thinking, what the MHRA and the UK was thinking, FDA, all of them what all their names were. They said there's only one thing, Ben Zimmerman says, there's only one thing that all the names they're coming up with have in common, and that word is virus. And then Ben Zimmerman, in his article in the Wall Street Journal, says the, the word virus is significant when it comes to this pandemic. The historical Latin definition for virus is, quote, 
venom. And if you look at the name Corona virus, Corona crown crown of venom. If, if you see a, venom if you see a crown, what do you think of? Symbolically, either a king or a queen, right? Uh-huh. Can you imagine if it actually just simply means king's king, venom? King's ven- King Cobra venom. King Cobra venom. Oh my gosh, with 19 VSTs. With 19 VSTs. Oh my gosh. COV, I'm convinced, means cobra venom. <laughs> cobra? Cobra venom, venom with 19 different with toxic 19 different molecules. Toxins. The truth is, the whole reason why I'm even coming out with this is I realized that there are certain therapies and antidotes to snake venom Uh that perfectly take care of stopping the death and carnage from what they call SARS-CoV-2 viral infection Uh and all of its variants. And I need to make sure those doctors worldwide know this is what you have to continue to use. It doesn't matter what the variant is that they call it. It's always the same solution, always. Because like once you realize you're treating snake venom. Everyone around the world needs to know this. You need to picture every COVID-19 infected patient as if they've been bitten by a snake. Got it. And then address the envenomation. If you really want to get real technical, take every COVID-19 patient that tests positive for COVID-19 with a PCR test or anything else, or a uh, blood test, and run an ELISA IG test, which is what they use to test for snake bites in ER centers. But Just run and, it, it'll and also, be positive. You know, snakes inject using fangs, using a puncture, a subcutaneous injection of snake venom. And that's exactly what the vaccine is. Exactly. It's right. a simulation of the, of the snake. The hypodermic needle was made from the design of a fang. Right. Oh my gosh. No wonder they're trying to kill you. Oh, yeah. Okay, here we go. Ready? Let's, yeah. let's go on. Come on. Yeah. Let's go. Next slide. Oh, okay. Really? There's more? Uh, oh, yeah. There's more. In February of two, 2015, just like remdesivir, check this out. The organism of envenomation group also showed, these are mice given crude cobra venom, the organism of envenomated group also showed alveolar hemorrhage and myonecrosis after six hours of envenomation with the cobra oh, venom. Oh, wow. This is exactly what they're seeing in patients. Exactly what they're seeing. All right. Here's an actual picture of the slides of the lungs of rats. Same one? Yep, same one. Okay. And you'll see here, A, the image from the control pulmonary tissue. This is normal. Showing, it's all normal. B, lung tissue of envenomated group indicated extensive tissue damages and showing inflammation, cellular infiltration, and alveolar hemorrhage. Next slide. Edematous swelling of lung tissue with subsequent accumulation of pulmonary infiltrate blocks the alveolar air spaces disrupting gas exchange and lung mechanics, leading eventually to what? Yeah, respiratory failure, sure. What do you see with SARS-CoV-2? All you hear about is respiratory failure. Especially after remdesivir. Especially after remdesivir. What if it's venom? And they're pumping this venom inside of you. It's insane. In conclusion, I wrote, is this ironic or damning? It can be concluded that the exposure of cobra venom encourages serious histopathological alterations, disease changes on renal kidney, and pulmonary tissue mm-hmm. and moderately on intestinal tissue of envenomed mice. Therefore, further studies need to be carried out. Blah, blah. Next. Uh, did you know 
that cobra toxin, an actual thing, is a cardiotoxin. Heart toxin. So it says down here highlighted, cardiotoxin is a peptide toxin produced by the Chinese cobra. It is cytotoxic also. What does cytotoxic mean? Kills cells. Kills cells. Next slide. Further into this document from February of 2022, cardiotoxin binds to the cell membrane and depolarizes cardiomyocytes, heart cells. It also shows lytic activities on many other cells, including red blood cells. It also targets the mitochondrial membrane and induces mitochondrial swelling and fragmentation, binds to the integrin alpha V beta 3 with a moderate affinity, and inhibits protein kinases. Okay, this is significant. A couple things. Cardiotoxic, and inside this highlighted area, it actually targets mitochondrial membranes. Next slide. It means it's going into the cells, not just right. poisoning them from the outside. Heart cells, ready? Check this out. This is October of 2021. Potential cardiotoxic effects of remdesivir on cardiovascular system. Let's go there to the highlighted part. Remdesivir can also induce significant cytotoxic effects in cardiomyocytes that is con considerably worse than chloroquine's cardiotoxic effects. Remdesivir-induced cardiotoxicity is due to its binding to human mitochondrial RNA polymerase. It's exactly the same as the snake venom. It's exactly the same as king cobra venom that I just read from you that was published in February three months after this. Unreal. Yes. It's literally the exact same effects. Yes. On heart tissue. Okay. Next slide. I just want to reference the Indian Cobra stuff. And I want to talk about what's inside, again, the Cobra study published by Gene and Tech that Gilead bought some facilities from. I'm going to read this together because when you put together the correlation of, is it possible that SARS-CoV-2 is really just snake venom? Watch this. Okay. Is this the right slide? Next okay, slide. One. Okay. Currently, snake antivenom is the only treatment effective in the prevention or reversal of the effects of envenomation. Since 1896, antivenom has been developed by immunization of large mammals, such as the horse, with snake venom to generate a cocktail of antibodies that are used for therapy. Okay, so they say since 1896, you take snake venom, inject it into a horse to be able to make antivenom. This is what they describe in Nature Magazine. Next slide. I couldn't believe I even found this. Mike, you're going to freak out. This is in Brazil, uh, Costa Rica. I found this on Getty Images, not a joke, where you buy stock photos. Yeah, right. They have a description on here. I want to read it together. This is unreal. This is unreal. Ready? Let's start with the, let's just read the whole thing. A scientist manipulates a velvet snake to extract venom at the Clodomiro Picado Institute in San Jose, Costa Rica, September of 2020. The Clodomiro Picado Institute obtained coronavirus proteins from laboratories in China and the United Kingdom to immunize six donated horses for treatment, in which plasma was used to produce a viral treatment to be tested in 26 patients infected with the new COVID-19. Oh my God, that's the same, that's how they make antivenom for snakes. I mean, against snake venom. It's the only way. It's the only way. So when they say they obtain coronavirus proteins, it's venom, which it's is a protein. Snake venom protein. Snake venom protein. And they did the same. And the picture's a snake. Pictures of a snake. All right. It's almost like they, All right, so listen, they accidentally listen. told the truth for, for this image. So start with this. 
part right here. Read that last sentence for me. Developed the drug, the Institute, based on its half-century experience in the production of antivenom, which it currently exports to other Central American countries, Ecuador, Colombia, Peru, and several African nations. This institute got SARS-CoV-2 proteins injected into a horse. These people have been for half a century specializing in one thing. Making antivenom. Making antivenom. Is that not insane? Okay. <laughs> I thought that was insane. January 2021, snake venom phospholipase A2 possess a strong viricidal activity against SARS-CoV-2 in vitro. Wait, what? Snake venom phospholipases A2 possess a strong antiviral activity against SARS-CoV-2 in vitro. I just find that interesting. Then in January, same month, 2021, venom from one of Brazil's largest snakes could reduce COVID's ability to multiply. Hmm, that's interesting. I thought it was a virus. Next slide. All right, now I want to ask you something, Mike. Next slide. Mike, I want to ask you something. Did you know that during COVID-19 in 2020 and 2021, did you know that worldwide there were two global crises going on at the exact same time? No. British Medical Journal. bite crisis? Are you kidding me? British Medical Journal Global Health. Look. Read it. Snake bites and COVID-19. Read the title. Two crises, one research and development opportunity. Because it's the same stuff. Because it's the same thing. Read the highlighted part That's down crazy. here. Read this down here. Despite inherent differences, snake bite envenoming and COVID-19 have much in common in terms of research and development challenges and opportunities. <laughs> Unbelievable. I had no idea that this was being linked. Even in the mainstream media. This is British Medical up. Journal. Right. Virus, snake venom. Two crises, but only one research and development opportunity? Right. Because it's the same. It's just rebranding. It's the same thing. Oh, my gosh. I couldn't believe it. How about this? March 2021. In Business Wire Online Magazine. A Berkshire Hathaway company. 1.58 billion anti-venom market. Global growth trends, COVID-19 impact, and forecasts. March 3rd. I had no idea. I had no idea. Look at this. There is a significant increase in the number of deaths reported due to snake bites during COVID-19 pandemic. Really? I thought we were all locked down. Exactly. Yeah. Did you How know some be more snake bites? Did you know? It even says in here that Texas. I think it said, oh yeah, let's read it. Keep going. This is creating a substantial demand for antivenoms. More than 350 snake bites were reported in Texas in 2020, which is an increase of 40% over the value registered in 2019. As per the June 2020 article titled, Texas snake bites increasing during COVID-19 pandemic. I thought we were all locked down in 2020. Did you know anybody got bit by a snake? No. I, I don't know anybody. And I'm in Texas. We're both in Texas. Yeah. I mean, I saw a lot of snakes, but none of them bit me. <laughs> you, don't, you don't play with them is the key. You just right. don't play with them. Just don't you play don't with mess them. with them. Isn't this odd that there's this Berkshire Hathaway's reporting on the fact that there's a booming business now in anti-venom at the same time. Because of COVID-19, we're getting snake bites during a period of lockdown. It's insane. It's all because it's related. Remember, next slide. Like Arizona said what? The body. It's just like it because it is. How about this? February 2021. Snake venom derived bradykinin potentiating peptides. A promising therapy for COVID-19. But wait a minute. How, how can these snake venom derived molecules treat COVID if COVID <laughs> is based on snake venom? 
Right. Remember, I told you there are vipers that have different components All that right. act on different systems. So the blood clotting effect of one venom going into your body, you could use the other one that's anticoagulant. I see. Got it? This is why the crate and the cobra venom is tied together as SARS-CoV-2 because cobras have a increasing prothrombin pro time. Do you know what that means? Mm -mm. Increasing how long it takes for your blood to clot. That is a blood thinning hemorrhaging effect. Crates do the opposite. They create blood clotting and thickening. Oh, wow. Just saying. So wait a minute, this would also explain why the more vaccine injections people get, the more their immune function is destroyed. Absolutely. There is tons of evidence supporting that snake venom destroys T cells, CD8, CD4 cells, and that's what we're seeing reported around the world with one shot after another. Right, and now they're pushing the fourth shot, even in America and in Israel and the UK, and they say the antibodies, the so-called antibodies, are gone after four weeks, instead of you know a year or forever, as they used to claim. Okay. Very true. So in February 2021, The Guardian reports that there's, a, there's new advances in COVID-19 therapies. You wanna, you wanna take a guess at what it is? Look at this, highlighted, first paragraph. Snake venom enzyme. Oh, my gosh. As a therapy for COVID-19. Really, I just want to give you a glimpse that this is what people are talking about in the media, but we're not paying attention to. Next slide. But metformin, also a, a blood thinner that causes hemorrhaging if you overdose on it, right? Exactly right. All right. All right. Snake venom can stop COVID-19 from multiplying. Oh, no way. Researchers in Brazil have discovered that a particle in a venom of a pit viper venom has the ability to stop the reproduction of coronavirus. Since when... Never. Next slide. But the same article. Quote, we were able to show this component of snake venom was able to inhibit a very important protein from the virus. <laughs> oh, let's look at the, the, the coagulation protein. Exactly right. All right, so let's look at Wall Street call. Look at this. Next oh, slide. okay. Next one. Wall Street call. December 2021, just a few months ago. There's this anti-venom market future growth outlook. Look who's on the list. Are you kidding me? Merck, Merck and Pfizer? and Pfizer. They're in the anti-venom market? Pfizer's hugely in the anti-venom market, and Merck has been in it for years. Do you know that lisinopril, the high blood pressure drug made by Merck, is made from snake venom? You're kidding me. Nope. They have a patented snake venom that's an ACE inhibitor that helps to lower blood pressure, all derived from snake venom. Unreal. Next slide. Now, it says Pfizer on that previous slide has huge potential for growth in the anti-venom market or venom market. This is November of 2021, just a month earlier. Pfizer files for an emergency use application for COVID-19 drug Paxlovid. I see that. All right, I want to read the last paragraph in this write-up. Next slide. Okay, unreal. Go ahead and read the whole paragraph there, Mike. Really? Yep, okay. go ahead. This, uh, this drug inhibits cysteine protease from the PA clan proteases that play coagulant role as they're involved in blood clotting cascade. As a cysteine protease inhibitor, it may disrupt coagulation and have blood thinning qualities leading to predisposition of internal bleedings. Several snake venoms also belong to PA. And wh what is PA again? So PA is a clan protease inhibitor. And they, they what define is, what it throughout What does PA there. stand for? I don't even remember. 
Okay, but several snake venoms belong to PA clan proteases and interfere with blood clotting cascades. So you're right, this is the anti-clotting venom. Now, this is interesting in light of presence of neurotoxin-like motifs noted earlier in the SARS-CoV-2 sequence related to snake venom neurotoxin superantigens. Oh my God, it's all right there. <laughs> it's all right in front of you. All right, next slide, let's keep going. Now we're gonna talk about some of the solutions. Venom-derived neurotoxins target nicotinic acetylcholine receptors. Oh, I've seen this come up in the literature. This was huge in the beginning of SARS-CoV-2. Uh -huh. Do you remember that around the world, hospitals were reporting that amidst this acute respiratory distress syndrome, they were calling SARS-CoV-2 or COVID-19, hospitals around the world were reporting this odd thing they were noticing. The least demographic of all people hospitalized with SARS-CoV-2 or COVID-19 were smokers. They said it was less than 5% around the world were being hospitalized for COVID-19 who were smokers. It I was the least. That. Yes, it was the nicotine. And as they were actually reporting <laughs> this, this is not a joke, they started reporting this and up and through May they were reporting on it. Our FDA, NIH, and CDC immediately went into action in May of 2020 and started telling everybody in the media Everyone in the world needs to know the highest, most likely demographic group to end up in hospitalized, being hospitalized for COVID-19, were smokers. They flat out lied to everybody and said, now there's never been a better time than to quit smoking. Oh my. Because in, the, in this case, the nicotine could have saved you. Absolutely. These nicotine acetylcholine receptors if you use nicotine, it blocks these neurotoxins inside of snake venom from vipers. You could totally handle SARS-CoV-2 wow. with nicotine. I'm not joking. People I've, as I've learned this stuff, as people have called me, hey, doc, I'm struggling with the Omicron variant or Delta variant if they got diagnosed with COVID-19 from a PCR test that I think is bogus anyway. If they were struggling, all I did was send them to go get Nicorette gum or nicotine mm -hmm. patches. Right. And I would tell them, look, you you've been struggling for two it. weeks. Just put this stuff in there, 48 hours or less all over with. This is the one and only thing that doctors around the world are missing because they don't realize it's venom. It's neurotoxins from viper venom. And they attack the nicotine receptors in your brainstem that control your diaphragm's ability to breathe. Wow. Then you drop your oxygen. That is what these neurotoxins do. It is not a lung infection. This is a venom poisoning and it's getting into your brain stem through your blood supply, crossing the blood-brain barrier, which is what this venom's designed to do, paralyzes your diaphragm's ability to breathe, your oxygen levels are dropping. These people need nicotine to bind to those receptors mm -hmm. because venom will be secondary to bind to them. Oh, this wow. is okay. huge. I'm telling you, everyone around the world needs to know this. Any variant that comes up in the future, you need to use nicotine. I'm going to have to <clears throat> add some items to my uh, stockpile of emergency medical supplies at this point. That's right. I do I not, not recommend have nicotine gum yet. We do not recommend smoking. Right. I'm not recommending smoking. Nope. I do but not recommend it at all. nicotine patches and things like that. Right. Absolutely. But right. that's what this venom does. You know what? Tobacco is actually easy to grow, too. I used to grow tobacco in Ecuador. Did you? But it's regulated in, in the United States. But anyway, you can grow tobacco. You can make a nicotine tincture. You know, theoretically. Is there a uh, regulation on how many tobacco plants you can grow? Is there I, like there, a limit? There are some kind of crazy regulations. Okay. But whatever. 
We could explore that. We could Maybe explore something that new from Bridie on store.com in the future. Yeah, if Who we knows? survive all the snake venom, we can figure out <laughs> how to right. grow uh, nicotine. Okay. So I want to go into this study because this reads just like SARS-CoV-2. Read it. Nicotinic acetylcholine receptors are channel-coupled membrane receptors activated endogenously by acetylcholine together with GABA, 5-HT3, and zinc-activated ion channels. <laughs> you have to understand. Right. Nicotine and zinc is targeted. Zinc receptors are targeted by snake venom. I told Zev, I was like, Zev, he, he didn't even know this when I filmed this. He doesn't know what I'm working on, Dr. Zev Zelenko. But I told him, please keep harping on hydroxychloroquine and zinc. This is why they keep punishing doctors for recommending zinc. Zinc will block the negative impacts of snake venoms. Right, and this, this explains the effectiveness of the zinc ionophores. With exactly right. Right. Yep. Oh, my goodness. And right, they, the, so the media was attacking zinc, attacking everything that worked. Yep. Okay. So let's just stop here for a second uh, before I even go any further. I just want to touch on a few things that everyone needs to be focused on. Every person treating COVID from here on out. It doesn't matter what the variants more are coming. They're not finished with their agenda. Nicotine is number one. You need to consider nicotine supplementation. I don't care if it's in a patch, a gum, little packets you can dissolve underneath your tongue, like people dip tobacco. There's a little nicotine uh, packet you can just put in there. It's not actually tobacco. Nicotine, oh, really? these okay. patients need to be taking. Two, zinc they need to be on. Number three, they need to be on hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin. These are zinc ionophores. I actually prefer hydroxychloroquine. Really? Yep, absolutely. If I'm right, if I'm right, on the remdesivir emergency use authorization, they only talk about one drug that cannot be co-administered with remdesivir. They don't say ivermectin. They say hydroxychloroquine. They say it's an antagonist to the antiviral properties <laughs> of remdesivir. Hydroxychloroquine wow. and mal anti-malarial drugs, which are anti-parasitic drugs, are proven to block and inhibit snake venom poisoning. And it's been that way for like 100 years. And I'm not joking, like 100 years. It's phenomenal. So you have nicotine, zinc, hydroxychloroquine, and, or ivermectin if you want to. I prefer hydroxychloroquine. NAC to block the blood clotting factors. Some people say, well, what about aspirin? Well, they're using several forms of venom. You don't know if you're getting the anticoagulant. And if you're taking aspirin, it's going to make it too thin. Right. And then you could have internal bleeding and hemorrhaging as a result. So I'd be careful with the aspirin part. Uh, and then, uh, so NAC... Anyway, that's what you're going to start with. Those are the, that's plenty. That'll actually take care of all of them. But the crate snake is a blood thinner. No, blood clotter. Oh, that's the clotter. King Cobra and is the... And the Cobra is the thinner. <laughs> oh, you know what's amazing? Yeah. Remdesivir's emergency use authorization says remdesivir has a side effect of increasing prothrombin time, which means it's thinning your blood and you can't clot as fast. Okay. King Cobra has the exact same side effect. Right. And it says you have to check prothrombin time before you start administering and after. No one does that, but they should. Wow. All right, so let's get into this next part. This is kind of fun. All right, so now I want to get into touching on some of the aspects and concerns I have about the mRNA vaccines, the current COVID-19 vaccines, and particularly the mRNA ones, and their possible tie to the fact that the mRNA is most likely snake venom mRNA and not viral genetic snippets. Ready? So mRNA COVID-19 shots. Unbeknownst to the majority of the world that you and I live in, who do we credit? Who's in the media all the time credited with getting, creating the mRNA vaccines? Dr. Malone. Dr. Malone. Uh, he's not the one that invented this stuff. 
the mRNA vaccines are actually credited to two co-inventors. And their names are David Wiseman, or sorry, Drew Wiseman, and Cataline Cor Cor Carico. Carico. Let's just Carico. Carico. Yeah. And they both work at the University of Pennsylvania. Okay. All right, so these two are credited with creating the mRNA novel COVID-19 vaccines. Got it? Work at the University of Pennsylvania. How long have they been doing research with mRNA vaccines? Uh, here's one back in 2009. All right, so incorporation of pseudouridine into mRNA yields superior non-immunogenic vector with increased translational capacity and biological stability. I don't even want to talk about it or describe it. I just want you to pay attention to mRNA and then the first and last name listed here as authors on this research study. It's the two people at the University of Pennsylvania who have been credited with creating COVID-19 mRNA vaccines. Okay. Okay. Inside this study, they actually state in 2009, a likely contributing factor to the enhanced translation observed with modification is an increase in biological stability of the mRNAs. Indeed, higher resistance to hydrolysis by phosphodiesterases from snake venom and spleen has been reported when uridine was replaced with blank in dinucleotide substrates. So they have been using snake venom properties to create mRNA vaccines as far back as 2009. Next slide. To achieve the stability that they need for the mRNA to maintain its It's all about stability. While it's penetrating the cells. Exactly right. We'll touch on that too. So here we go. Acknowledgements for this study in 2009. NIH. <laughs> and NIAID. That's Fauci and Collins. You ain't lying. Next slide. Oh my gosh. Gets better. Next slide. I want you to read this out loud. These are the two authors. Oh, yeah, KK, what, what is it, Carico? Cataline Carico and Drew, Drew Weissman. Weissman have formed a small biotech company that receives funding from the NIH. To explore what? The use of nucleoside-modified mRNA for gene therapy. For gene therapy? Gene therapy. Do you know they've constantly said that this isn't gene therapy? Right, but it is gene therapy. Uh, the two people credited with these mRNA vaccines have been working solely on gene therapy using mRNA technology. They even have a whole company to explore it, funded by the NIH. Okay. Since 2009. Next slide. Yep. Nucleoside modifications. This is a 2011. Same two people are listed here as authors. You'll see the last two names here. Drew Wiseman, Catalina Carrico. At the University of Pennsylvania highlighted. Working with RNA. Let's go into the study. Next slide. Highlighted here, you'll see they used G-coded dynabeads. Just remember this. Keep going. Now, in 2012, unrelated to these two people that I was just talking about, I need to read this to you because it's significant when it comes to the mRNA vaccines for COVID-19. The unusual stability of mRNA and snake venom reveals gene expression dynamics of venom replenishment. This is in 2012. Next slide. Inside the abstract, it reads, here we exploit the unusual stability of mRNA in venom to conduct for the first time quantitative what? PCR. PCR to characterize the dynamics of gene expression of newly synthesized venom proteins, not natural venom peptides, synthesized. So they're creating these. Next slide. Inside the same article, but on a different platform, the stability of mRNA and venom is biologically fascinating, still 2012, and could significantly empower venom research by expanding opportunities to produce transcriptomes from historical venom stocks 
and rare endangered venomous species for new therapeutic diagnostic and evolutionary studies. Next slide. Inside this study, they actually take snake venom, different components, SVMPs that are actually in SARS-CoV-2 research studies, PLA-2s that we talked about are phospholipases, which are actually the, the actual dangerous components of SARS-CoV-2 that elicit morbidity and mortality found in cobra venom. Remember that? All right, and then they find this DNA light up here, okay? The stability of this stuff. They actually do it with PCR amplification, with snake venom mRNA. All right, next slide. I have to show you something. Next slide. Okay. <laughs> this is snake venom DNA from 1984 in 2012. When they titled this Unusual Stability of mRNA and Snake Venom, they're finding that snake venom stored since 1984 till 2012. Look at this. They found these inhibitory peptides from mRNA were isolated from a venom sample extracted and lyophilized in 1984. That means there's 30 years worth of stability of this mRNA, and they're shocked in this study that the venom properties of the snake don't destroy the mRNA over time that it's stored in. They can't believe the mRNA survives all of it because they're degenerative and destructive. But we're, we're told that the mRNA is stabilized by being capped with things like polyethylene glycol and things like that. Is that just a cover story or yep. it, from what this is showing, it looks like the snake venom is the preservative oh, yeah. for the instructions. And if the instructions themselves are also how to make snake venom, <laughs> right? Yep, so in 2012, they just published a study that they found this unusual stability of mRNA it even lasts 30 years by itself, not degraded by snake venom or other components. And then in 2014, two years later, I don't know if the slide's in here, in 2014, they actually found they could even make it more stable, mRNA from snake venom, by wrapping it in a nanoparticle hydrogel. Oh, not a joke. Okay. And then they combined it with Dynabeads in 2015. Is that a brand name of some kind of nanoparticle? What yeah, is that? I'll show you in just a second because okay. it explains your mRNA shots. I'll show you in just a second. All right, so here we go. mRNA extractions from venom. Polyadenylated messenger RNA was purified from lyophilized venom using Dynabeads mRNA direct kit. Dynal introvision using the manufacturer's protocol. Next slide. Well, so we can just buy a Dynabeads mRNA kit and we can... Yes, you can, right online. There's a company called Thermo. Ther Thermo Fisher Scientific that makes it. Oh, Thermo. Uh, yeah. yeah, okay. Say no more, all right? Say no more, yep. All right, so here we go. Real-time PCR, I just want to reference here. This is how they actually magnify the gene sequences of snake venom is using PCR. What are we using to find SARS-CoV-2 around the world that's never been used for a virus before? PCR yeah. testing. Next slide. These results demonstrate that potentially large quantities of mRNA of high quality can be reproducibly recovered from snake venom. More than adequate amounts of mRNA were recovered from each venom sample for downstream PCR analysis. This is in that same study. Next. Our demonstration that mRNA can be detected in venom at each time point during the complete time course of venom synthesis is remarkable because we would expect snake venom glands to present a highly unfavorable environment for mRNA preservation due to the diverse array of destructive nucleases and phosphodiesterases and naturally acidic conditions. In an extreme extension of this investigation, we also report, and this is important, we also report that mRNA encoding snake venom 
metalloproteinase. Do you know what metalloproteinases do? No, I'm not familiar with that. They actually make your cells deplete metals like zinc, copper out of your body, which wow. you will then start to suffer from strokes, hemorrhage, inability to breathe. All right, metalloproteinases, serine proteases, proteases, C-type lectins, Kunitz inhibitor, all of which you can do any research study that SARS-CoV-2 does all of those. You want to know why? Because it's snake venom. All right. Uh, an inhibitory peptide was PCR amplified from this venom, which was extracted in live flies in 1984. They are shocked in 2012. They can still see mRNA amplified with PCR in the venom. It's still actually Wait, bio. A venom. lot of these vaccines are lyophilized powders that have to be diluted. No kidding. With solution. Just like every venom. So and you're saying just shipping out powdered snake venom, calling it a vaccine, lining people up to inject them. It's how remdesivir comes, in a little glass jar of lyophilized powder, just like snake venom does. And that stuff's gonna last for 30 years. Easily. It's not even stored in snake venom for 30 years, it's just freeze-dried. <laughs> okay. All wow. right, next slide. This is August 2011, mRNA study continuing. RNA continuing was containing was cleaved efficiently by RNAs. RNAs, RNAs T1, RNAs T2, nuclease P1, and snake venom phosphodiesterase, although there is some indication that pancreatic diesterase and snake venom phosphodiesterase may cleave RNA with reduced efficiency. Let's look at snake venom phosphodiesterase. Ready? Next slide. You can actually buy snake venom phosphodiesterase right online. It's 133 bucks. Snake venom phosphodiesterase. Purified lyophilized. If you would like to do your own mRNA research, research just wow. buy some of this stuff and you can cleave your own mRNA. Next slide. On the same page, I need you to understand this. This is very significant. When you order this stuff and you're a research lab wanting to cleave RNA with snake venom phosphodiesterase, it actually states that this phosphodiesterase from snake venom is inhibited by reducing agents such as glutathione. Which is also being removed by the FDA. Yep. NAC produces glutathione. Uh -huh. Selenium I talk about helps the liver to make glutathione, and they do not want you buying NAC. Right. At all. This, but this is, why, this is why you're seeing such great success with glutathione injections. Like people that go around and do IV injections of glutathione, they yeah. see miraculous results with COVID because of this. But look at, you see cysteine and then what else? Ascorbic acid. Ascorbic C. acid. Yeah. Which I already showed you the study where cobra venom was literally chopped in half the morbidity and mortality with vitamin C concentrations in plasma. There was a direct, direct correlation to survivability from SARS-CoV-2 and vitamin C loads and venom peptides called phospholysterase. What's shocking, completely inhibited by 5 millimolar EDTA. That's a very low concentration. Yes. This is why they're trying to block this stuff. I mean, five millimolar is, I don't know, a few drops in your body or something? Yes. Like I mean, it depends on your blood volume, I guess, but... Isn't that interesting? I'd heard of people taking EDTA. I'm not, I'm not recommending, I'm not saying to take it. I'm just saying I'd heard of people taking it. Suddenly, it, it would deactivate... Snake venom phosphodiesterase. Snake, exactly. Which is what they're using to make mRNA. Next wow. slide. Guess what funding was for that research study I was just quoting? You'll see National Institutes of Health, and then at the bottom you'll see, is there a conflict of interest with doing this study? Uh, well, Kataline Karakov and Drew Wiseman have formed a small biotech company. This is in 2011. Uh -huh. Separate study. The National Institutes of Health funds them to explore the use of nucleoside-modified mRNA for gene therapy. 
2011. All right, now, I'm, gonna about, I'm about to now show you just how in your face this is, okay? Pediatrician Dr. Peter Hotez, January 2022, creates a new vaccine. Next slide. And now in February of 2022, could a patent-free vaccine offer a COVID solution that stands up against Alpha, Delta, Omicron, and all future variants? This is the one Dr. Peter Hotez in Houston. From obscurity to a Nobel Prize nomination, Houston scientists acclaim for their patent-free COVID-19 vaccine. Next slide. These two are the two. Microbiologist Maria Botazzi, her colleague Peter Hotez, and their team at the Texas Children's Hospital Center for Vaccine Development last month unveiled Corbavax, the world's COVID-19 vaccine. And doctors say it could be a game changer. Next slide. This is what it looks like. I want you to tell me how that reads. I mean, look at the label. This is a COVID-19 vaccine. I want Co you to Cobra. I want you vax. to transpose the B and the R. Uh-huh. Cobra. Vax. It's actually a play on Cobra vaccine. Right. Now, interestingly, Hotez and this other lady are up for being nominated for a Nobel Prize for this new vaccine they created. The only problem is they didn't create it. Biological E created it. But I, I'm, I'm really curious why that is they got the credit. Next slide. January, same article. Well, just to clarify, the producer of the vaccine and the owner of the vaccine is Biological E in India. Corbavax is their vaccine. Okay. Why are they being nominated for a Nobel Prize when they didn't even make it? Next slide. Now, this is in the India news. I went to go find it. I wanted to see, has Biological E been passing this out already in India? COVID-19 vaccine Biological E's Corbavax gets EUA for use in the 12 to 18-year-old age group. This is February 22nd, 2022. About the same time these two in Houston are getting credited with a new vaccine being nominated for a Nobel Prize called Corbavax, which is really Cobravax. Next slide. In the very first paragraph, it says, Biological E, a Hyderabad-based vaccine manufacturer on Monday, received EUA from India's drug regulatory regulator for their COVID-19 vaccine for now the 12 to 18-year age group. The Drug Controller General of India had already approved this vaccine, called Corbavax, for restricted use in emergency situation among adults on December 28, 2019. That's before COVID was even being talked about. This was being used before COVID was even talked about in December of 2019. All right, so I just want everyone to know, these people in Houston did not create this vaccine. Biological E did. They created a vaccine and called it Corbavax, which when I saw the name, I was like, oh my God, it reads Cobravax. And I went just like this. I'm going to go to Biological E's website and I want to see what they manufacture. Next slide. I'm sure it's just a coincidence. What do they produce? Next slide. You're kidding me. This is their product catalog. Snake antivenom. They make snake antivenom. Each first one is cobra venom. Next slide. Common crate venom. Crate venom. <laughs> Next slide. Biological ease homepage or website. Vaccines and biologics. Biologics. Corbavax is India's first indigenously developed protein subunit COVID-19 vaccine. I would love someone to test this from the manufacturer of Cobra Venom. I'd love for you to test that for COVID. Or sorry, Cobra peptides or proteins. And I bet they're injecting into every India child now, 12 to 18 years old, along with adults. A Just injecting snake venom them with snake venom vaccine. Did you know about this? No. 
Next slide. Read the title. Moderna co-founder using mRNA technology to treat venomous snake bites. This is July of 2021. <laughs> it's almost absurd once you put this lens on that everything's related to snake venom. Everything related to COVID becomes very clear how to treat it, how to handle it, and just how bogus so, it is. So you're saying the vaccines are snake venom, basically. You're saying the mRNA is instructions to tell your body to make more snake venom. And you're even saying that SARS-CoV-2 itself is derived from snake venom. All right. So this is a great right. point. I'm going to stop right here. You ready? Because we're looking at Moderna's co-founder, whose who's only drug they've ever made <laughs> is the mRNA COVID-19 right. vaccine. Right. In July of 2021, he says, we can use the mRNA technology to treat venomous snake bites. Okay. Mike Adams, I want to ask you a question. Hmm. Have you heard of Dr. Hoff in British Columbia, Canada? Yes, Hoffy, H-O-F-F-E. Yep. Have you seen where he said he had all these patients who all of a sudden experienced after getting their mRNA vaccines, they started experiencing like long haulers COVID fatigue. Yes. They couldn't walk 100 yards. And he decided to do a test on all of them. Do you remember what that test was called? I didn't even know what it was when I heard it. Oh, Yes. Was that the, the microclot yeah. test? Yeah, you remember what it's called? No, I forgot the name of it. It's called a D-dimer test. Yeah, D-dimer. Okay. Now, when I say I wanted to see, is there a relationship to everything related to COVID, what's being reported to COVID, and snake venom? Is it possible, I thought? Let me just look it up and see. Is there a connection to D-dimers, the D-dimer test? And what are medical doctors trained to look for if they see elevated D-dimers? So I'm going to read this out loud to you. How are elevated D-dimer levels interpreted? And this is March 2022, this year, last month, on Medscape.com. Very reputable online medical journal. I want you to read, there's only five bullet points on the page, of what medical professionals and lab technicians are trained to recognize when you see elevated D-dimer levels. I want you to read the fifth one. Snake venom poisoning. <laughs> these, are, these are the possible explanations from elevated D-dimers. If you see elevated D-dimers, one of the things you're trained to look for is snake venom poisoning. And I am absolutely certain that there are snake venom peptides being used as these mRNA injections, and they are reacting with coagulation throughout the body. Uh, venoms. Venoms from snakes have this massive amount of creating micro blood clotting all throughout the body. And That's Ryan right. Cole has talked about this nonstop underneath his slides as a pathologist. He sees all this micro blood clotting throughout the body. Right. It is a reaction. I'm certain related to cobra venom. And or the organ damage, snake the damage venom. of organ tissues on the surface of the lungs and the heart tissue, uh, liver, pancreas, kidneys. I couldn't believe ovaries. this was. I couldn't believe this was online. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's... Couldn't believe it. See, but what you've done here is amazing because once you know what terms to search for, and by the way, I mean, I, I should tell the audience, everybody go out and start searching on these terms now because, believe me, the internet's going to get scrubbed of anything that says snake venom, vaccines, you know, anti-venom, all of this. There's the, a reason the scrubbing why... will happen immediately. There's a reason why I have thousands of documents and they're all downloaded, saved, and put on hard drives. Uh-huh. And they're printed. Uh-huh. I mean, you could, take, you could take away all my hard drives that have it saved in all multiple places around the country. 
And then you have to burn all my documents that I have printed because I printed them all. Well, they, they may try that. You, they you, might. You, you Who should, knows? You uh, should distribute the documents as quickly as possible as well. But I have to okay. tell you, I was very nervous when I came and talked to you about this a couple months ago. Yeah, I was you, very scared. Yeah, but you didn't have all this research at I that didn't time. have all of this. I just told you, I think I'm onto something and I don't know what to do. <laughs> anyway, it was great. Anyway, I just want you to know, the greatest part of all of this is everyone around the world is going to know what to treat these people for. They, they've been, it's been very complex and they don't know what to look for. Everybody who's had an mRNA vaccine who has any long-term side effects needs to go do this D-dimer test. Go to LabCorp, go to Quest. You can order it yourself. Go in there, pay for it, and get it. And if you have elevated D-dimers, one of the things you're looking for is snake venom poisoning. So wait a second. <laughs> so for those who have the mRNA injections and they've had the transfection alteration of the DNA of the cells, their cells are producing then, essentially what you're saying is they're producing a snake venom molecule yes. that's circulating in their blood. Now it's also going to show up on the surface of their skin. They're going to shed snake venom. We're talking about humans being turned into serpents. Have you not? heard of people shedding their skin after getting these shots? I have. I saw it on Stu Peters. Yes, yes. Jeff I, yeah, Jackson, you want to know why you're shedding your skin? Because like a snake. Like a snake. But, I mean, this idea, I mean, the, the, the demonic elements here, if Satan were to try the ultimate prank on God's creation, he would try to turn you from human into a serpent. And that's what this is doing, it It's seems. exactly what this is. And then you run around shedding venom onto other people. And I can't tell you how many people I know who they get headaches around vaccinated people or they get nauseated around vaccinated people and there are some women who have infertility and strange menstruation effects when they have been around vaccine shedding people suddenly this all makes sense you can't have a baby you can't have a regular period if your body is infested with uh, venom can you imagine the the gravity of this information right now and the impact it's going to have on the pharmaceutical industry as the world finds out? I mean, Could you imagine they're about to approve injecting children with these mRNA shots? Yeah. New, like six-month-old to four-year-olds. That's right. And they're already doing it to five to 11-year-olds. Thank God only 25% of American children have gotten them in that age group. But could you imagine as a parent now thinking they could be injecting your children with snake venom? Who would want their children to ever get bit by a viper none you're going to sign up and take your children to volunteer to get it injected into you what about your elderly what about those with comorbidities the peptides inside of snake venoms actually target comorbidities or inflamed organs that are already present they destroy those that are diabetics they're targeting diabetics heart failure patients kidney failure patients i mean how many people in this country are on dialysis right now oh yeah hundreds of thousands i think it's, it's a insane. lot insane All right, so okay. Moderna says we can use our mRNA tech to treat snake bites. That's interesting. I thought it was to treat viruses and protect us from viruses. Next slide. Remember, <laughs> remember, right? There's two coinciding global crises at the same time: COVID-19 and snake bites. But only one research and development opportunity. Next slide. In the interview with co-founder co of Moderna, 
His name is Rossi, last name. In one interview, he mentioned offhand that mRNA could have more uses than vaccines, such as the anti-sera for use to treat venomous snake bites. Next slide. Oh, wait, sorry. Stay there. The comment caught the attention of scientists in the snake bite community and eventually led to him becoming an advisor for a company called Ophirix, which is working on a pill that could help save people's lives immediately after a snake bite. We're going to go there because you got to see it. Next slide. To combat snake bites, Ophirix is working on a pill. All right, we got that. All right, what is Ophirix? Ophirix is a public benefit corporation registered in Delaware. Second paragraph, our shareholders to date have been predominantly individual investors. These individuals invested in Ophirix in large part because of our commitment to address the medical need presented by snake bites. <laughs> in recognition of our development efforts, we have also won multiple grants from the U.S. Department of Defense and an award Welcome from the Welcome Trust. Trust. Oh, my gosh. This is directly the off Welcome their site. Welcome Trust. Who's Welcome Trust? Uh, they were involved in some of the gain-of-function uh, money. Actually, they're actually directly tied to the World Economic Forum. Oh, my gosh. All right. Next slide. This is Ophirix. While Ophirix's focus right now is that product, which is about to begin clinical trials in the U.S. and India, Rossi still believes mRNA could be a, a game-changer in the fight against venomous snake bites. Anti-serum is complicated to manufacture. Rossi said that the process involves collecting venom from a snake, injecting it into a horse, since horses don't die from most snake venoms, extracting the horse's blood and using the antibodies that the horse creates. With enough funding support, Rossi says it's feasible that scientists could use mRNA technology to manufacture a better antiserum and take the horse out of the equation, which could also greatly reduce the production cost. Next slide. Ophirix receives Welcome Trust Award to advance clinical development of novel snake bite treatment. Now, I want to read some of the highlights here because... Uh, it's very specific. Ophirix, a brand new company, Ophirix Incorporated, announced today that it has received a $2.5 million award from the Wellcome Trust's $80 million, or 80 million pounds, approximately $100 million commitment to improve treatment of snake bites. The award will fund manufacturing of oral and IV Verispl, I don't even know how you say it, Verispladib, Ophirix's lead drug candidate for use in Ophirix's upcoming Potentially pivotal clinical trial studies. You have to understand, Ophirix is to treat snake bites. Okay, snake bites. It's an oral pill. Being funded by the, World, the, the Welcome Trust Fund with $100 million over the next seven years to develop this drug. Ophirix is, Ophirix is developing this verasplapted drug, like a velociraptor, as a, as a first in-class toxin-targeting antidote for snake bites by inhibiting the progression of a key venom component called SPLA2, there which is, is what SARS-CoV-2 is. All right, next slide. The World Health Organization reinstated snakebite and venoming to its list of neglected tropical diseases in 2017 and more recently has outlined strategies to reduce the death and disability toll from snake bite by half by the year 2030. Okay, the World Economic Forum talks about climate change and that there needs to be an entire change to the planet that they are orchestrating as a great reset that needs to be completed by the year 2030. That's right. Isn't it amazing that they're going to invest all this money in snake venom? Do you want to know why it is I think they're doing this? Because they're injecting snake venom into all the people around the world and they're going to select who it is they want to save with an anti-venom they're investing in. Next slide. 
So they, what you're saying is they, they create a fake pandemic, they use the media to hype it up, they start treating people with venom, like, as you were saying, remdesivir, that then causes people to die, they call the deaths COVID deaths, and they use that to panic people into taking vaccines, which... Four billion people have already done? It's over. It's over that At now. least four billion. That's yeah. half the planet. It, I think, yeah, I think it's way over that at this point, but... Anytime they need to inject more people, they just create another fake outbreak, like China is doing right now, to lock down, what, 26 million people in Shanghai? Yep. All right, okay. so I need y'all to look at this drug Ophirix is working on. It is a repurposed molecule with an extensive development and safety record. It blocks secretory phospholipase A2. We've already told you this comes from cobra venom initially is how they found it. It's also a predictor of mortality in SARS-CoV-2. All right, next slide. This is on Ophirix's website. Responding to the COVID-19 pandemic, there's a research study called STAIRS. Read the paragraph. As the coronavirus pandemic surged in 2020, Ophirix reviewed earlier data to evaluate their drug, Veras Velociraptor. Very <laughs> it, splat. It, and it's... Yeah. It's potential as an effective therapy for acute respiratory distress syndrome, uh -huh. a primary cause of death in COVID-19 patients. Ophirix only specializes in developing an anti-venom oral pill. And they are now running, they're in their third phase of their clinical trials called STAIRS to look at defeating acute inflammatory and respiratory symptoms of SARS-CoV-2 with their anti-venom drug. Right, so they will have the antivenom. The right people will be offered the antivenom. Everybody else will be injected with right. the venom. Right, and if you remember, it actually states here, our hypothesis is that the drug may be able to address two critical mechanisms of ARDS, which ironically almost spells my name, A-R-D-I-S. Okay, <laughs> by stable... <laughs> By, by stabilizing dysregulated inflammatory response and by preventing lung surfactant degradation. Do you remember reading the effects of viper venom, including cobra venom, yeah. that it does that? Insane. Yeah. Change the permeability of the lung cells. Yep. If so, it can become a valuable tool for global treatment of COVID-19 associated ARDS in both advanced and low serum health systems. Okay. All right, but what about, what about venom? I call it COVID-19. What about venom from vipers? And this loss of taste and smell that is so common among people that get COVID. Right, the neurological destruction. Yeah, so weird. From, from venom. So I was like, look, remember when I said I had to look at everything in relationship to COVID that's being reported? I'm like, is there a connection? Okay, yep. This Ironically, is definitely connected, yeah. This is definitely connected. Uh, it's a side effect of either being bit by a snake, even sucking out venom uh -huh. if you got bit, oh, and it yeah. goes in your mouth and you spit it out yeah. orally. It creates the same symptom. Oh my gosh, and here it is. And here it is. So here we go. Permanent nerve damage does not occur in most species such as mambas and cobras as the venom doesn't damage the nerve cell. However, with bites from crates, permanent or semi-permanent nerve damage can occur as the toxins adhere to the nerve cells for much longer. An interesting side effect from a neurotoxic snake from Australia, the Colette snake, is the permanent loss of taste or smell after the bite has been successfully treated. Bites from burg adders which are another viper, can also result in problems with smell and taste. However, these effects are not permanent. Next slide. 2011, it's published. The term is agusia, the loss of taste. Can't taste anything. These are these are two cases of people who got bit by cobras. They sucked the venom out and spit it out. 
And then within a few hours or within a day, they all lost their taste, <laughs> the ability to taste stuff. But they just spit it out. It wasn't getting bit by the snake. They just had it in their mouth. All right, here we go. We present two cases where the victim developed total loss of taste after they tried sucking the tissue materials from the site of a cobra bite. We determined that it is local effect of venom as the probable hypothesis for the mechanism of the loss of taste in both of the patients. After two hours, this person uh, of her, she actually sucked out cobra out of two people. She's like a medicine woman. She, two people from the village in India got bit by cobra. She sucked out their venom. After two hours of her last attempt with the second person, she developed the symptoms. In addition, features of respiratory paralysis. This is oral, not getting bit. In addition, features of respiratory paralysis appeared and she required ventilation. Sounds like remdesivir. Mm -hmm. She was also given 100 milliliters of polyvalent anti-snake venom and recovered well with a single dose of treatment. What about the NIH? This is on the NIH's website, Mike Adams. Changes in smell, including loss of smell, as well as taste, have been reported following elapid bites, which are vipers, mainly for black snakes. In most cases, patients report a horrible taste sensation or change in taste or smell that persists for months Two years. This is exactly being reported on COVID. It's exactly people. what's like, being reported. Like they, they feel like common things smell like rotting flesh or Pers dead bodies or whatever. Yep, and it says persistent anosmia, inability to smell, due to olfactory bulb atrophy has been reported in another confirmed case of the mulga snake. Wow, which these is are all venom effects. Huh? These are all the side effects of venoms. All right. Now, we're going to kind of wrap this up. Since I saw you, I couldn't believe... My parents one day, they know I don't watch a lot of TV because I'm always reading something. My parents actually told me, son, this is in January. Son, you should watch a TV show. I think you'd like it on Netflix. Go watch a show called Blacklist. And I was like, why do you think I'm going to like that? They said, you're going to love the main character. I was like, okay, whatever. Okay, I'll watch it. The truth is, I actually love the main character of the show called Blacklist that was on NBC. Yeah, James Spader. I've seen a few episodes of this too, yeah. <clears throat> okay. This is in season four, episode 15. Now, Mike, when I came and talked to you the first time, I didn't actually look at anything. I was all paranoid for like two weeks. And then I started getting hints and impressions. I needed to go look at certain stuff on snake venom and COVID. So I just got back into doing it again when I was into season four. My wife's asleep on the couch and I couldn't believe what I was watching. This episode it's season four, episode 15. Do the math. That's really funny about these two numbers, uh -huh. by the way. Season four, 19. episode 15. It's 19. This was filmed in 2016. Released in February of 2017 on NBC. Okay. Do you think Hollywood has fed information to project to people. Oh, yeah. And audiences, so yeah. they're conditioned. Hollywood's controlled. They are controlled. Yeah. I just want to show the timestamp on this next part, right? So it's called The Apothecary, episode 15. February 23rd, 2017 is when it aired. <clears throat> I have three timestamped clips that are in chronological order where the entire COVID pandemic is outlined in one episode. What were the two snakes in the very beginning that they found in China where the codon usage bias was the most similar? What were the two snakes? Crate, crate and, and cobra. cobra. Got it. I would like you to play the first episode 
Can you play it right now? Are you sure about this? Bringing them all together in one location. It's dangerous. One of our most trusted confidants intends to do irrevocable damage to the organization. It needs to be confronted swiftly. It's dangerous. There's a traitor in the family. I intend to find them. And if something goes wrong? Hold on. Hold on. Don't just hold on. Keep breathing. Keep breathing. Good. What's going on? Mr. Reddington, my name is Dr. Haverkamp. I'm an on-call specialist on your Code 77 team, and you had an emergency. Okay. Uh, give him medication a minute. Just give him a minute. I need you to listen. Do you know where you are? What do you remember? Dinner. Restaurant. What's wrong with me? We're not quite sure. We thought at first you may have had a series of mini strokes, but the MRIs, the EEGs, they ruled that out. Or is that ML now? I don't know who that is, but the man who drove you here left as soon as you stabilized. I don't remember. Mr. Reddington, I was told that you insist on a frank, unvarnished assessment of the situation, so here it is. You're dying. We believe you've been poisoned. We're not sure how, but your symptoms are severe and they're progressing at an alarming rate. The cocktail of steroids will stave off the symptoms for a short time, but unless we know how you were poisoned... How long can you keep me alive? It's hard to say. Uh, a day? Maybe two. What? No, no, no. What are you doing? Your cell phone. Do you have a cell phone? Please, Mr. Reddington, you need medical attention. Your condition is critical. Where are you going? Elizabeth, gather the task force. I need your help. Solve a murder. What is wrong with you? Oh, I don't know. You need a doctor. <coughs> We're looking for corticosteroids. Bronco dilator. <coughs> go, go, go. I'm fine. Cortical steroids. Guys, this apothecary, this guy is good. You got the toxicology report? He knew Helen Dolly. Um, 
I'm sorry, not no, no, like he met her. He knew her medical history and he used it against her. Helen's doctors think she went to a coma because of a reaction to a tree nut allergy. But the truth is this apothecary used some sort of complex weaponized allergen to trigger uh, the same reaction, meaning her doctors. We're treating the symptoms, but not the cause. How does this help us with Reddington? We have to find out if Reddington has any pre-existing conditions. Which one was targeted? And find an antidote to reverse the effects all in the next several hours. Right, that, that is the bad news. There's good news? The lab did find one distinct element in the molecular structure of the drops taken from Robert Dolly's apartment. A peptide unique to the venom of Bungaris flaviceps, also known as the red-headed krite. Incredibly rare. So it's easy to trace. Only four suppliers in the world and only one in America. A defunct reptile farm outside of Scranton, PA. Hightower Serpentarium, owned by Asa Hightower, who, according to his license, still lives in an apartment on site. Get there now. Okay. Corticosteroids, bronchodilator. The other FBI agent goes, uh, we got to find out what Reddington's pre-existing conditions are because the apothecary, the guy poisoning people with this venom, he's targeting specific organs. And Reddington, the main character, has a lung issue. They never disclose what it is, but in earlier episodes, they talk about it. And it's the freaking crate. And then they say, there's only one source and it's really aware of this venom and it's in Scranton, PA. Do you know where the mRNA vaccines were created for COVID-19? You're kidding me. Where the two scientists, Drew Wiseman, Cataline, live and work at the University of what? Pennsylvania. Since 2009, we have record of them using mRNA and snake venom to create mRNA vaccines. This was after I'd already put it all together. After I even came and saw you. Two weeks later is when I'm watching this and I'm like, what? They're, they just told the whole story. The whole story in this show is he drank it. Someone in his group of influence that he trusts put the drops in his drink and he drank it and he had the same lung pathology as what occurs supposedly with a respiratory virus like SARS-CoV-2 or COVID-19. I have wondered and have spoken on for six months that I'm bothered by the CDC's COVID data tracker on their site, that they have this wastewater surveillance tab. They've had since the beginning of the pandemic, 400 water testing sites for SARS-CoV-2 in 37 cities of the United States, but haven't told anyone until September of 2020. They still haven't released the data of what they were doing or what they were testing for in these 400 sites at the beginning of the pandemic. With this wastewater testing. So they're trying to determine whether the local people are, are carrying this by looking at what's coming out of their bodies. This is what they're saying. They say that as people in communities are shedding feces, mm -hmm. in the feces they can test in the water with PCR testing, mm. samples of SARS-CoV-2 in the water, and as elevations go high, they say they have to take the samples, ship it to the CDC, the CDC tests it, and then four to five days later they get their analysis. And they say that they can predict four to five days later after getting the results, there's going to be an outbreak in the same town and a war, an alarm that warned the town that there's going to be an ensuing COVID-19 outbreak. The only problem with that, Mike, 
if there's high levels of SARS-CoV-2 in the water that you just pooped into, that means the virus already went through their bodies. True. Why would there be a future outbreak in five to six days in the same town? It doesn't even make any sense. No. The only way they could be predictive is if they're putting it in the water and you're drinking it and you're exhibiting the same symptoms. And did you know... Taking it, it orally just like the Reddington character. Yep, yep. And did you know that in 2015 there was a study done where they took rats, put cobra venom into water and had them drink it? Guess what happened? Every yeah. side effect that you read of COVID-19. Wait, sir, are you supposing that perhaps this has been added to the water supplies in cities like New York City where there were big outbreaks? That's exactly what I'm saying. I actually am convinced that they've been targeting communities through their water systems and getting them to drink it. Wow. When I started, wow. and when I started interviewing um, security detail, there was this guy named Bryce who came to my house who's special, op special operations captain. And he was asking me why I was interviewing him after I was warned about a possible assassination list on my life or me on that list. And I told him a little bit about my research into COVID and I was working on a lot of stuff that no one else is talking about and I'm about to release this data. And he goes, well, how do you think they're spreading it? And I said, uh, I think it's in the water. And he goes, seriously? And I said, yeah, this is just last week. I said, yes, I do. I'm convinced that's what it is. And he goes, do you remember the bat lady from Wuhan who escaped China, was going through New York and Washington, D.C.? Do you remember this lady, this scientist from Wuhan? Sure. Bryce was assigned as a part of her security detail. And he said that he was with her when she was testifying in Washington, D.C., and they asked her, when you guys are doing gain-of-function testing at Wuhan, how... How is it that you guys are determining if it will work or not? Do y'all do any experiments there? And she said, we experiment all the time. We actually select communities all around the lab to actually test out our gain-of-function products. And they said, well, how do you do it? How do you distribute it? And guess what she said? We take our gain-of-function products, and we put it in water, and then we freeze it and we cut it up into ice cubes and we deliver it to the communities for them to drink it. And then we bring the antidotes to fix those people. And this security detail individual looked at me and said, this is only the second time I've ever heard water might be the actual source for COVID-19. So this means if true, they could, they could have an outbreak anywhere they want. And by the way, there doesn't need to be any viral transmission to achieve this whatsoever. And in addition, then they arrive with the treatment, the cure, the EUA, which causes more death, which exacerbates the so-called outbreak, which drives people through fear into vaccines, which are based on the venom, as you're saying. Exactly right. Now, I will Th say... This is levels of evil upon evil, multiple layers deep. Yes. Now, before people go out and start doing their own research, you just have to understand governments around the entire world where they've had the highest amounts of cases of COVID-19 and deaths from COVID-19, all of them have had their federal health agencies doing stuff with their water, all of them, from the beginning of the pandemic. So before people reach out to me and start bad-mouthing me, trying to defame me, trying to de like, or ruin my reputation or whatever for my claims... I'm not claiming that I know it's in the water. This is what I, I surmise is how they're targeting specific communities. Like, for example, Zev Zelenko's community, I asked him, tell me about your community, your Jewish community in New York. He said it was one square mile. And I said, in my head, I was like, 
you know how easy it would have been to target all the Jews in that one community just by putting it in their water system and let it go there? You know how easy it would have been to create an outbreak epicenter in New York, just put it in the water system that goes up one skyscraper with thousands of people in it? Not everybody gets sick with COVID. Kids don't get sick with COVID. Do you know that they can actually take rats right now? They can inject them with drugs that create diabetes and then put crude cobra venom injected into both sets of mice. Those who now have diabetes induced by drugs, the other mice have no diseases. They take the same amount of cobra venom injected into both groups. The, the actual rats that have no disease processes, it's a sublethal dose. These don't die. They don't even get sick. But this one does. They are targeting specific individuals with comorbidities, like you heard here on this show, which is ridiculous. I think they've figured out how to target them. The goal is not to try to convince you where it is. I'm not scared about the water. Remember, if the bioweapon was put in water or put in the air, less than 1% of the whole world died. So it wasn't really successful at killing you. But remdesivir is. The vaccines have been way more deadly than the actual bioweapon. I'm trying to give you the visual that now you know what to look for and to target. And corticosteroids, by the way, Pierre Corey was right. So was Dr. Richard Bartlett. Nebulized budesonide, which is corticosteroids. And Pierre Corey, God bless that guy, he went before the Senate, the NIH, in May of 2020, blasting them about their low-dose recommendation of dexamethasone to treat COVID-19. He's like, this is a minuscule amount. That's not going to help anybody. We need more steroids. Yes, you do. Corticosteroids are proven to reduce the inflammatory effects of these venoms inside your body. Right. Now, the next thing. The next thing. Uh, uh, you know, some people will say, this is a great theory, Dr. Artis. <laughs> It used to be theory, actually, until about a week ago. This was produced, published, peer-reviewed, and approved. Published October of 2021. It's titled, Toxin-Like Peptides in Plasma, Urine, and Fecal Samples from COVID-19 Patients. This is done in Italy. They took 20 COVID-19 PCR-tested positive COVID-19 patients and 10 who tested negative for COVID-19, and they took from all of them poop, pee, urine samples. Sorry, poop, pee, and blood samples. And they ran it through databases looking to see are there any toxic peptides in the COVID-19 infected patients versus the control group that had not tested positive for COVID-19. And I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. This is what I've been looking for for the last four months. The conclusions. Toxin-like peptides, almost identical to toxic components of venoms from animals, like conotoxins from the conus marine snail, which is the most deadly venom on the planet that has been mass manufactured in factories since 1989, I've learned, that is synthetic. And also phospholipases, which we just talked about from snake venoms, phosphodiesterases, zinc metal proteinases, bradykinins were identified in samples of the COVID-19 patients, but not in any non-COVID-19 positive patients. Wow. Okay, hold on. This gets better because I got I to read this to you. In Italy, all 20 of the tested positive COVID-19 patients. The types of toxic-like peptides found resemble found resemble known conotoxins, phospholipase A2, metalloproteinases, prothrombin activators, 
anticoagulation factors usually present in animal venoms, which are known to have high specificity and affinity towards human ion channel receptors and transporters of the nervous system, like the nicotinic acetylcholine receptor. Super antigen-like motif in the S1 spike protein as well as two other neurotoxin-like motifs that have peptide similarities to neurotoxins from king cobras and from crate snakes. We conclude that the neurotoxin-like motifs are present in SARS-CoV-2 protein products acting as neurotoxin-like peptides. Wait a second, what? Tell me again the source of this. This is a peer-reviewed journal article out of Italy, October 2021. What's the title? Let me read the title. Read the title. Toxin-like peptides in plasma, urine, and fecal samples from COVID-19 patients. Version 2, peer-reviewed, 2 approved. Um, What's the journal here? EICCO Research? Is that what it is? I think it reads F1000 Research 2021. Oh, okay. Sorry, there's a line through it. Yeah. Okay, so. So let me read this to you. Okay. We checked in the full set of peptides that we got here. We report only 36 examples because they found more. We report only 36 examples of the peptides they identified in the feces, urine, and blood samples of COVID-19 tested positive patients. Uh And this is what they found. We identified in plasma and fecal samples toxin-like peptides mapping on crate 1A alpha bungarotoxin, 1 beta bungarotoxin from the Malayan crate, kappa 2 bungarotoxin, which is crate, and alpha bungarotoxin from many banded crates, which were reported by Chang and colleagues. Furthermore, we looked at the amino acid changes currently reported in GISA-AI data analyzed by COVID glue viz update and occurred in this blah, blah motif identified by these authors were homologous to neurotoxin motifs of animal venom proteins. We observed the existence of amino acid variations, which makes the motif even more similar to the neurotoxin motifs of animal venom proteins. So they're, they're finding it now. I mean, this, they're finding that COVID is venom. I have, in this research study, they have a list. I have a whole chart. 36 different animal venoms. Of the 36 they found in fecal matter, stool, and urine from COVID-19 tested positive patients, 20 of them are snake peptides. From the crate snake, brown snake, co- the cobra, most are crates, most are cobras, uh, Chinese cobra, Malayan cobra, uh, inland taipan, 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 brown snake, the Habu, which is a viper, uh, 20 of the 36 are viper peptides from venoms found in COVID-19 tested positive patients. So what are you saying? They're making a cocktail of multiple snake venoms, maybe putting it in the water. People are drinking it, and then, boom, they're having all well, this damage? Well, let's just appease all those that have been talking about it being a respiratory virus. It is actually identified in April of 2020 by a French research study group that they identified the bungarotoxin, which is a crate venom, and cobra venom peptides were the two most identical sequences to the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein, and then laid out the PRRA man-made genetic sequence that they believed was tied or identified tied to the SARS-CoV-2 virus, and then it had the bungarotoxin, which is the crate peptide, and the cobra peptide tied to it, 
and we have that research study from April of 2020. It's either, so let's just appease those that believe it's a respiratory virus, it's either proven by this French study in April 2020 that the peptides of bungarotoxin, which are crate snakes, bungarotoxins are their venom, peptides, or cobra venoms, peptides, are attached to a virus, and it's floating around in the air and being aerosolized, or it's in the water, and you're just drinking it, and it's just straight venom, peptides, that they've already been mass producing for years and years. It's insane. But I just so, want you to know that we now have proof that it's actually identified inside all tissues of COVID-19 positive patients. You should know what so, to treat now. Right, right. But I mean, if, if this were in the water, it would be pretty low dose by the time it got to somebody because there's a lot of water volume that moves through exactly the right. water system. Yep. And, and by the way, who's still drinking tap water? I mean, now just so you know, anybody still doing that? And I will tell you, just so you know, in the show, I didn't show the clip, but in the show, the apothecary person, the guy poisoning people with venom of snakes, was actually poisoning his wife with eye drops of the venom. Oh, wow. If it's in your water and you're showering, it gets into your eyes, it can go right into your nervous system and have the exact same effect. Or what if it's in the steam in your shower? Or your and steam you're in your inhaling shower. it. You're inhaling exactly kind right. of like, like, a, like a venom. Yep. And you have to understand these are, these are peptides that don't venom target vapors. everyone. And right. if it's in the water, it's diluted, which means it will be at a sublethal dose. Right. I just told you they could inject a, a mouse with sublethal doses of cobra venom and they get no disease or die. But those with comorbidities, they would actually die or get extremely ill and sick. So, so, so somebody who's just drinking, let's say, well water, obviously, couldn't be affected by this. Well water people, I've asked every, every single person I've asked. I drink rainwater only, but rainwater, yeah, go ahead. Every, every single person who's on well water has not had this? Every single person I've talked to who says they've never had COVID, I've asked them, are you on well water? All of them have said yes. No kidding. No kidding. In fact, do you know the Los Angeles Raiders Hall of Fame running back Marcus Allen? Right. Yeah, yeah. He was a big star when I was younger. He walked yeah. up to me just on Saturday at an event in New Jersey. Yeah. And he's telling me a story about his dad, 87 years old, being put into a hospital who's totally healthy. His family gets a call that the dad's been diagnosed with renal failure, positive COVID-19, and Marcus Allen is looking at me and he goes like this. I didn't care who was going to try to stop me. I called the doctors, got to the medical doctor, and I chewed him out and told him there's no way on the planet you're giving my, my dad remdesivir. It causes acute kidney failure, heart failure, liver failure. And he starts quoting all my stuff. And I looked at him and I went, you do know I'm the remdesivir guy, right? And he lost it so excited, starts telling me how, oh, my God, I follow you, and it is you, and you <laughs> saved my dad's life. He yeah, said, I credit yeah. you with saving my dad's life. I would have never known about remdesivir otherwise. He starts to tell me that no one, him, his wife, his kid, none of them ever got COVID. And I said, do you live on a well? And he said, I do. And I said, those with wells don't. Well, okay. All right, so here we so go. We've got to, let's wrap this up. Let's, let's wrap this up. Um, but obviously, this is just the beginning of a lot of information that you have. Yes. You put together on this. You spent, what, a thousand hours researching easily this? Easily in four months. It's been the... Easily. Easily a thousand hours. Now, I want to read to you something because you keep bringing up this biblical side of this. Right. I have been very open. There, there is either... The only reason why I would end up on this big pharma's assassination list is because 
I'm keeping people out of hospitals by talking about remdesivir, except I've been doing that for two years. Well, all of a sudden, when I'm about to release this data on all of COVID, would I come up as number one on their assassination list? I think it's related to this stuff. Or it's related to the fact that I'm very open about the fact that I think this is a religious war. People like to say, Dr. Arsh, it's a spiritual war. And I'll go, no, I actually think it's a religious war. And it can be spiritual, but I think it's a religious war. And I've actually said out loud who I believe the religion is that's orchestrating this whole thing. I've been very open about that. Maybe that's the target. Maybe that's why I'm the target. Are you referring to the entity at the Vatican, perhaps? Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I actually do not find it ironic that the word remdesivir, which is the generic name for a drug called Veclery, that remdesivir has a V in it, and Veclery starts with a V. I actually think it's venom. I also think it's tied to the Vatican. I think they're all in charge of this. I think they're all related. Wait a minute. The Vatican, don't they have that building that inside it looks like a giant serpent? Oh, the Great Hall? The Great yeah. Hall. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like a snake. You're it actually is. looking at a, oh, yeah. at a viper. Oh, yeah. Okay, so I've actually been very open that I think the Pope of the Roman Catholic Church and the Order of the Jesuits of the Roman Catholic Church, which is not the Catholics who are attending Mass, I believe right. that organization is responsible for this COVID-19 pandemic. Okay. And I thought in the shower the first day when I was thinking about this doctor who wrote me this text about venom and anti-venom, I remember thinking... How ironic would it be if they're using the one greatest symbol of evil that we symbolically in religion identify? The, the, is, the, the serpent. Is the, the devil. Snake. It is the serpent. What if they are using the serpent's venom to intoxicate and envenomate the whole world and then inject its DNA into your DNA? This is what I've been to talking about. Transhumanism into serpentine transformation, whatever. I have to read reptilian. something to you. I have to read something to okay. you. I knew you would appreciate the reptilian side of this. Uh, well. All right, so here we go. This is printed in what's called Douglas Hamp Ministries. I don't even know who they are. All I know is in 2012, I found this article. How the mark of the beast will rewrite the human genome, corrupting the image. This is 2012. The genetics of the deception, recombinant DNA. Okay. The technology known as recombinant DNA, in fact, now makes it possible for a grown man or woman to be altered at the genetic level. If a non-human gene were introduced into the human genome, then the person would no longer be fully human, but would by definition become a hybrid. The ancient name for a creature that is composed of different kinds is known as a chimera, and that is also the name given to hybrid creatures by scientists today. Yes. Recombinant DNA is hybrid DNA that has been created from more than one source. So you have two species of creatures combined to make one DNA. The basic procedure is where a DNA strand is opened up and then a gene from another organism is inserted, making a new strand of DNA. Then the RNA replicates the new strand and it is passed into the entire system. What do you hear about spike proteins being generated by these mRNA vaccines? Okay, in every system. When recombinant DNA is then further altered or changed to host additional strands of DNA, the molecule formed is referred to as a chimeric DNA molecule with reference to the mythological chimera that consisted at a composite of several animals. By means of recombinant DNA, Satan may be able to convince humanity to insert demonic genes perceived as desirable into the human genome. 
The genetic composition of the person, therefore, would result in that person becoming a chimera. In the late 70s, Dr. Stan Cohen, his name is Stanley Cohen, okay, Stanley Cohen, studying antibiotic-resistant plasmids and E. coli, and Dr. Herb Boyer, studying restriction enzymes, realized that they could use restriction enzymes to cut both plasmid DNA as well as DNA containing a gene of interest and combine the two DNA sequences so that the sticky ends of each DNA could be joined or spliced to make a recombinant DNA. For example, they created what was called a bacteria-human DNA. I have to bring something to your attention here. This was in the 70s. They figured out they could take bacteria and human DNA and splice them together. Sta Dr. Stanley Cohen and Dr. Herb Boyer founded a company in 1976 called Genentech. Really? The, the Genentech? The Genentech. Dr. Stanley Cohen won the Nobel Prize in 1986 for the discovery of what was called nerve growth factor using king cobra venom. Wow. Therefore, we can see how a man with access to technology into Satan's seed could then merely inject it into his DNA. Then once inserted, his own RNA would copy the new strands with the foreign gene and it would spread through the entire system. Once the process of replication was complete, the man would no longer be a mere human. He would, in essence, be a chimera, a hybrid. He would be a chimera, a hybrid a beast. In conclusion, this to me was very powerful. I couldn't believe it because I don't really get into this spiritual side of stuff. I just call it a religious war. To whom would Satan be willing to give his own genetic material? Crossing the line of mixing different kinds is against the natural law of God. The sons of God that did so in the days of Noah got themselves thrown into the pit or the abyss. The penalty for crossing that barrier is ostensibly ostensibly imprisonment until the final judgment. We know that Satan will, perhaps fathering his own son, is the line that is not permitted to cross. Therefore, Satan must be very selective of this person. We can presume that this person will have all of the worldly advantages possible, the best education, all the power, riches, and technology. He will worship Lucifer and he will lust for the ultimate power to have greater than human capacity. This person will indeed be the one that Jesus spoke of who gains the whole world but loses his soul. The kingdoms of the world that Satan offered to Jesus, this person will possess. He will obtain Satan's own genetic material and then insert it into his body using recombinant DNA. His body's own RNA will then cause the satanic strain to be replicated into various parts of his body. And once completed, his genetic makeup, DNA, will be a new code, which is what you said earlier in this interview. A code not strictly from Adam, but will be augmented code that has been mixed with Satan, just as God declared in Genesis 3.15. Satan will have finally succeeded in imitating the incarnation. This man will literally become the genetic son of Satan because he will save Satan's seed mingled in with his own. It is consistent with the technology of transhumanism in the dissimilar kinds can now be mingled as one. Well, you just nailed it. The son of Satan, if you've taken that mRNA, you've been infected, as you're saying, with the instructions for venom. Your genes are being altered with uh, the serpent's poison. Recombinant DNA is what 
Drew Wiseman and Catalina at the University of Pennsylvania have been working with, with mRNA for the last at least 10 years I know of, 11 years. And so, I do want to say something. Dr. Stella Emanuel, if you know who she is. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. She talks nonstop about anyone who got these mRNA vaccines needs to pray for forgiveness yes. and to have the evil spirit removed from them. She doesn't even understand this concept of what she, I brought well, to light. She's got, she's, but I think she's she intuitively in. knows. I think she intuitively knows yeah. spiritually that, uh, I just want, I just have to say, when I read this, I keep hearing Dr. Stella Emanuel offer her prayers of forgiveness and asking for forgiveness for those who've received these shots. Absolutely. So to wrap all this up, what you're outlining here is not just a crime against humanity. It is the, the ultimate betrayal of the medical system, which has become a system of satanic death and poison and venom disguised as medicine, that the pandemic was engineered the treatments were engineered. Anything that worked was banished. The science journals have published, they've known about this all along. The scientists involved in this have known all along, according to what you're saying. And yet the media covered this up, big tech censored anything. They'll try to censor this interview, obviously, to keep injecting people with, as you're describing it, more snake venom. And they've already injected, I, I believe it's over 5 billion people. And so I just want people to know, too, that we're going to publish and give you access to when you uh, watch this and get the final edit, uh, that in 2015, they did a study with uh, crate venom, and they found there's nine plant extracts that block and inhibit all of the toxic aspects and poisonous aspects of crate venom. They have been working to understand antidotes. Now, I also want to mention that someone else was right. I didn't realize this, but... Uh, when Judy Mikovits was in the Plandemic documentary, yeah, and Mickey Willis asked her, what's the antidote for these people that are getting these shots? Oh, suramin. She said suramin. There is actually a research study. Everybody look it up online. It's titled 100 Years of Suramin. I've actually talked to Judy about this privately and in confidence. I said, how did you know suramin was an antidote? If you go look at the study called 100 Years of Suramin, there are several paragraphs the very first paragraph that it gets into is that sermon for over 100 years has known to be an anti-parasitic, but its toxic effects were actually more than what they replaced sermon with as an anti-parasitic in a drug called ivermectin. Uh -huh. So ivermectin is superior as an anti-parasitic than sermon. The very next paragraph and the only section of this entire study on sermon that is titled sermon as an antidote is all about its protective known inhibiting effects of all viper venoms from no snakes. Kidding. Unreal. Now, suramin is not isolated from pine needle tea. Suramin is a drug made by Bayer. I mean, this is an actual pharmaceutical agent. Right, right. But there is also shikimic acid from pine There needles, is, yep. And which, that can be very beneficial, absolutely. And but that's I just want also to, found in many other things. I just want people to know, suramin would work as uh -huh. an antidote to snake venom poisoning. Judy was right. Corticosteroids, okay. Pierre Corey, Paul Merrick, R Richard Bartlett, they're all right. You guys have been right the whole time. You've got to use more corticosteroids. You have to use zinc. You have to use hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. You've got to consider NAC, vitamin but, but, C. But as long as people D. keep getting injected, people are going to keep dying. That's very true. Because it's a, it's a, as you're saying, you're, it's, a, it's a venom injection protocol, which is why they're never going to end this.
Do you know what the impact of snake venom is, mRNA from snake venom, on fibrinogen, which is the blood clotting factor in the blood? And these people that are preparing bodies, these embalmers, when they find these whole blood clots in veins, right. you are replicating venom peptides with these mRNA injections, and you're getting these massive amount of blood clotting factors that are created. Yeah. You guys need to get these tissue samples of these people that are dying, have them tested for venom peptides, and then the whole world will know exactly what is going on. It is my prayer that I bring this to the world, make sure everybody knows, this is not a me thing. I believe God actually inspired me to go look at this thing through the MD who sent me the actual first text. But I wonder if there are snake bite test kits that you could buy over the counter and then uh, put some vaccine liquid on it. And I wonder if it would flag as positive. I would take Pfizer and Moderna shots and put them on any snake venom L-E-L-I-S-A-I-G test. Right. Squirt it on there and see if it goes positive. You should all be disgusted. Yeah. <laughs> and, and normally I would try to test this in my lab, but we can't test for large molecules like these peptides. Right. That's, a, that's a totally different uh, instrumentation. During the break also, Mike Adams, I showed you a patent for a coronavirus vaccine online. Mm -hmm. In the instructions on how to use this patent for a recombinant novel coronavirus vaccine using replication deficient human adenovirus as a vector, it describes in order to prepare this, take 50 microliters of the vaccine candidate strain venom seed solution, add two microliters of protein kinase K, and digest the virus genome. I think they, uh, I think that was a slip of the, of the typing, hmm. slip of the finger. But anyway, that they said venom. That they say venom. Okay, let's um, let's give people some some ideas of where they can continue to follow you. I know you have a show with us on Brighton TV. When when does that show air? It's, it airs every Wednesday morning, nine central time. Okay, nine central. And then what's your Oh, well, you gave and the it's website. It's the Dr. Artist Show, the Dr. Artist Show.com, the D R A R D I S Show.com. Okay. Uh, any social media accounts you want to share? Uh, we're on Rumble, we're on Telegram. Um, I don't know. That's where we are. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, and I just want to say, I know there's a lot more to this, so we've got to do some follow ups. It's going to be fascinating to see what the reaction is to this, no doubt, uh, you know, Reuters, which shares the same board members as Pfizer is going to you know, fact check you, and they're going to say that uh, none of this could possibly be true. It's not snake venom, but if they even say snake venom, it's gonna raise some questions. People are gonna start asking, like what's the deal? Hold on, they went to sleep again. So I just wanna thank you for sharing your time and your expertise and doing all this research, and I hope that those of you watching out there will uh, take this and run with it and uh, find out, because the symptoms seem to match up perfectly with venom. And if we know that that's what this poison is, then we can save a lot of lives. And that's the goal. That's your goal, right? My to save lives. If I haven't repeated this a billion times, every time I speak, I say my goal is to thwart their agenda of harm. I just realized in May of 2020, Dr. Anthony Fauci was lying about the safety and effectiveness of remdesivir. From the two studies he was quoting, it was obvious it was ineffective and deadly. So I just went into the media on my own dime to try to get it out to the media and to all innocent audiences around the world to know, do not trust this drug. It's very toxic. I even called it Anthony Fauci's genocide. I didn't even know who he was in May of 2020. I just knew this was a genocidal setup that you're only going to use this one drug in all Americans for 2020. Mike, 
How is it possible that the United States of America has more dead COVID-19 patients than any other country worldwide? Yeah, that doesn't make any sense, right? You don't have these death rates in India or African nations, Nigeria. And China. Yeah, no. Exactly. Nowhere. It's only in America has a million, over a million dead COVID-19 treated. That's where the treatments are most available. And for the first year of the pandemic, we were the only ones using remdesivir. It wasn't allowed to be exported till the end of October of 2020. This is a genocide. We've known it was genocide. We just didn't understand the mechanism. Please all go this research. I really do beg that all governments around the world, when they see these, this interview, that individuals in government will pull remdesivir from their hospitals and have it tested for the peptides and proteins in snake venoms. You can run the databases. It's in this Italy study, the database they ran it against. Right. And they found 36 animal venoms, 20 of which were snakes, including the crate and the cobra. Unreal. And then hold these people accountable for lying to all of us. <laughs> the most horrific conspiracy in human history is what you've just outlined. It has been the gravity of this story and the realization is why I came and talked to you in confidence because I didn't know what to do with it because yeah. it was scary. It was overwhelming. It literally took on this massive uh, cloud of transparency. This could be the greatest evil ever projected on the entire world. Well, maybe, maybe that's why God brought us together. I mean, we built this platform so we can talk about the truth. And this talk would have been banned YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, anywhere, but not here. Absolutely. So thank you, Dr. Artis. You're very welcome, Mike. Thank you for all you do. Absolutely. I'm very God, proud of you. God bless you and stay safe because they're going to they're gonna try to silence you one way or another. But, you know, we've got uh, a lot of angels and prayers and good people on, on our yeah. side. Just remember, it doesn't matter where it's coming from. When you're looking at COVID, please treat it and respect it as an envenomation of snake venom, and you'll know exactly how to treat it. Good point. Excellent. All right, uh, Dr. Artis, thank you again for joining me today. This is Mike Adams here, brighttown.tv. Feel free to share this interview. You can, of course, um, post it on your own channel, post it on other platforms as well. Thank you for watching today. I'm Mike Adams, brighttown.com and brighttown.tv, where Dr. Artis also has a show.